When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's the 14th of November, and we're tired of shit. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Morning Combat, Monday edition, post-UFC 281 edition. My name is Luke Thomas. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my editorial life mate. He's that B.C. with that C.T.E. (laughs) I sound like I'm dying of... Fucking lung cancer. I'm just, I'm just awful. Hi, Brian Campbell. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wounded, Luca. But you know, they've called me a red light guy before, and no, that has nothing to do with Amsterdam. Um, uh, you know, you may, you know, you may fall apart on this show, Luke, but I'll get you across that finish line. Okay, you can call me Sully Sullenberger. Gonna drive the, that that plane into some geese, huh? Uh, no, look, what a weekend. What a week. What an event. UFC 281 couldn't be more fired up to break it down. We've got a very special guest just seconds away, Luke, and really, you, arguably the best uh, Canadian journalist of all time. But, Luke Thomas, um, jokes, ad reads aside, RIP to one of the great ones. And this is obviously a, a shocker. Anthony Rumble Johnson, 38 years old. We'll have more later in the show on his, you know, life and, and legacy, but uh, some sad news coming off a wild card at New York city. Yeah. There was a lot of good news from the event itself. It was one of the best events we'd seen in some time. UFC 281 totally delivered. BC had talked all week about that MSG magic and you got to see it. There was good evidence of it. But then of course, yesterday, some somber news, that um, basically Anthony Rumble Johnson had passed away. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just very quickly, thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe. If you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, do be so kind as to give us a nice review there as well. Re- reminder, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Reminder, there's a Bellator show, I believe, this Friday that is a certified banger. An unbelievable card. Probably their best card of the year, if I can be totally honest with you. I think bang, it's by bang. Far. Yeah, it's yeah. their best card. So you can check that out on Showtime. Of course, merch. I've got some merch right here. BC's got merch on as well. Morningcombat.store is the place to get that, right, BC? 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, it is the finest merch house this side of uh, RJ Bumblebanger, and uh, we've got fantastic stuff, a new fresh line of hats for the fall and now winter season, so uh, head on down to morningcombat.store. Put a little of that fall headwear on your dome as you're out at the kids' soccer match, all right? You know, whatever, or whatever you do, okay? Whatever you do, do it with us, all right? You know what I mean? Just, yeah, yeah. Bang with us. You know what I'm saying? Bang yeah. with us. Luke, there's uh, some concerns about your health. Can you put that to rest, Luke? No, Beyond I'm fine. Just I'm, a- fine. I'm just run down. I'm just run down. That's all. That's really no more to it than that. Remember, even when I get home, like my sleep's kind of messed up already. And then so when you go on the road, people are like, oh, well, then, you know, your family's not there. You can sleep in. But I actually have problems sleeping in hotels. So it actually just stays just as bad, if not get, gets worse. So uh, yeah. I'm fine. I had a bit of a cold. It's almost done with. It's not that serious. I'm just. I was just. You know what it was, BC. I was just tired yesterday, bro. I was just okay. tired. I was really tired. Been um, there, done that. Other than that, other than sure. that I, I should in a day or two. I should be totally fine. I mean, I was a salty old bitch in Phoenix, Luke. Okay, happy I got out of that trip alive. Okay, but yeah. uh, we are. We have the best job in the world. So let's get fired up to do it. And let's bring. Yes. Let, can we? Can we bring that guy in? He's been waiting. Yes. One more note. One more note. Morningcombat at gmail.com for Wednesday's fan subs. Friday's dead wrong. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That's the place to go. Now, we have a lot to get to. And when what we like to do is when BC and I both do the post-fight show, we like to get a third voice in here. We need an erudite voice. We need an accomplished voice. We need an experienced voice. You know what we need, BC? We need a Canadian voice. And erudite? Here Does today. that mean he only likes white people, Luke? What does that even mean? Well, he's he's well-learned. He He is educated. He knows a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Smart man. Let's bring him in right now, Luke. Let's do it. All right, Aaron Bronstetter joins us now from TSN in Toronto, Canada. What's up? Hey, look, we have glasses that are similar. Huh? How about that? Except you got the coating on. You know, you know how you have the purple glare? I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't wear glasses with it because it drove me crazy seeing it on screen. So I got no uh, what are the coatings and no coatings on mine because the blue light thing, it's kind of... A lot of people you ask, I asked my optometrist, apparently overrated, but... <laughs> Either way, AB from the home of BTO is here. Let's take care of some business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. AB, the, the Elvis Costello of mixed martial arts. Always a pleasure to chat with him. Uh, Luke, you know, he made it back to Toronto from New York. But AB, have you been now to all six UFC at MSG events? Is this a fact? I missed one. So my daughter was born six weeks early. I was supposed to go to the Moncton card. And then the week later was the MSG card, which was uh, if, if I was going to miss any MSG card, it would be this one. It was the Cormier Derek Lewis card. Yeah, so uh, that was the only MSG card that I was unable to attend. You didn't miss much right there. Then can we start right off the top, Aaron? What you saw at UFC 281, what you felt inside that building. Are we talking about something in contention with UFC 205, 217 as the best, uh, you know, in this six, seven year run since UFC has been allowed back in there? I think it was for sure the most entertaining of the cards. Like if you were going to look at it from top to bottom, the entertainment quotient was super high. But when you're comparing it to some of those other events, were the stakes as high? I'm not sure you could argue that, but I think that you could certainly look at I mean, we had one where there were three titles on the line. Stakes were through the roof for that particular card, and that card really delivered as well. But uh, that card on Saturday was really something special, just from top to bottom. All action, incredible fights. I was surprised they didn't give bonuses to everybody who got a finish on that card because uh, it certainly delivered, and the, the fans were really, of course, eating it up like they always do at MSG. Uh, by the way, when you get back into Canada, do you have global entry? I'm just curious. I do, yeah. Oh, it's it's the greatest thing ever. 
Yeah, it is. You fuck. All right, I'm so jealous now. All right. Uh, well, let's do this if we can, BC. Let's start with topic number one. At the end of these, Aaron, I do want to get some of your thoughts on Rumble Johnson, but we'll save that for the end of the topics. So first things first, let's start with where this conversation starts. We have a new middleweight champion. Nine new champions, by the way, in 2022 in the UFC. This would now be obviously adding to that list. All right, so Alex Pereira wins fifth round stoppage. Despite the fact that the champion was up verify, or I should say, excuse me, it's now a bad habit. The former champion was up on 39-37 on all three judges' scorecards heading into the fifth. It, uh, Aaron, if I had to ask you what the single biggest determining factor of Pereira's success in that fight, what is it? Well, I think Israel kind of spelled it out. It, Israel's leg, leg was horribly compromised. I mean, he said that the calf kicks over the course of the fight took their toll, and that'll stifle his mobility. That'll make it also something that he has to really think about. If you're, t- if you're starting to move and your leg is un- unable to hold your body weight, those are the kind of things that will put you in a position where you're stationary, and that's not where Israel wants to be. He was up against the cage, uh, and Alex Pereira, you know, the, the commentary team always does a good job, but in this particular case, them continuously pointing out that the guy hasn't fought five rounds, I think is erroneous. And listen, in MMA, that is 100% true. But him going five rounds in back-to-back fights against Artem Vakitov, which were just volume striking, volume striking, you could see that his power would carry for the duration of the fight. This guy's got, in my opinion, he's the most credentialed striker we've ever seen in, in MMA. If you look at what he did in glory, becoming a two-division champion, this guy is so dangerous all the time. And he put in the legwork, no pun intended, early on in that fight to take away the balance of Israel. And that's I think, was the X factor down the stretch. Aaron, uh, Izzy was up 3-1 to one entering that fifth round. Before having this information, which obviously seems to be huge, the effect of the calf strikes, without having it after the fight, I was critical of, let's say, the... You know, we talked about would the lack of experience in Pereira cost him in MMA. I argued that, that you know, Izzy seemed to make a mistake that set up that finish that was out of character, that, 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 you know, he had too much experience to do that. But we find out he feels like he couldn't have shot for a takedown, and he certainly didn't have the mobility with that. So knowing that, do you look at this as, you know, more result of, of, of Pereira's just so poised and, and, and he never went away? Or do you look at Adesanya being in the lead there and, and put a large percentage on what he didn't do that allowed this to happen? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think it's one or the other. The thing about Alex Pereira is his striking is so good that at any point in that time, if he finds one little opening, that's all it would take. And if you looked at the live odds going into the final round, Israel was a 13-1 to favorite. Mm. I think that anybody looking at that kind of a line needs to know that Alex Pereira is not going to go away here. His corner inspired him in between rounds. He knew that he needed to get a finish in that round. I'm sure that the, the level of urgency in his corner told him that. And I don't think that... You can really take too much away from Israel because he fought brilliantly up until that fifth round. He really did. You know, he lost that second round, but it was still a relatively close round. It's not like Israel ran away with it. Uh, or sorry, uh, Alex rather ran away with it in the second. So, you know, I, I, I hate to take anything away from Israel other than the fact that maybe next time around he's going to have to be a little bit care- more careful with his defense uh, in terms of lower body. But otherwise, if you look at him going into, the, you know, how he fought up until that point, really really well so that that's what why i think a rematch is just something that we have to see next it, it was such a, a dynamic fight and the the tempo changed and the tone changed so quickly that um i, I think that has to be next unless of course israel is badly hurt which he kind of alluded to after 
the fight in his press conference that there were some health problems going on behind the scenes that he never talks about. So well, can whether we, or not can that's we talk long-term about that? lingering, who knows? Yeah, let me, let, I, you're not a doctor, and he gave us very limited information. But he was somewhat compares, comparing, I guess, what he's feeling to to the the late actor Chadwick Boseman, who, you know, had fallen into what? What did he have cancer? I'm I'm trying to catch yes. up with my mind quickly. Yes. You know, didn't reveal it, fought through, made made some final films, and unfortunately passed. That seems a pretty huge comparison for Izzy to make. And he was also referencing people making fun of him, which I'm assuming is the left nipple and saying, you know, I've got some legitimate health concerns afterwards. I got to go back and fix like armchair quarterbacking without a medical degree. What does that actually mean? Because that's a pretty large reveal after, you know, his first middleweight title loss after such an incredible run. I mean, are we concerned here? Let's let's just talk openly here. What does that mean to you? Hard to say. I mean, like you said, he was it was veiled in secrecy, but that is a pretty, um, in terms of the comparison to Chadwick Boseman, I mean, it's got to be something somewhat serious if he's going to make that kind of a comparison, unless the comparison was just you don't know what people are going through um, behind closed doors. If, if that's what he was alluding to, then maybe it's, it's something different. But yeah, hopefully, whatever it is, it's something that he can come back from. But he's like he said, he's fought three times in 10 months. I mean, he's been very active. So if it was something that was going to hinder him dramatically, I don't know if he would have taken three fights in 10 months. Also, just from my point of view, Aaron, it looked to me like he fought. I mean, you mentioned it. He was up 39-37. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to say that his comparison is overblown. I don't have enough information to make that claim. But just based on what we saw in the octagon for 20-plus minutes, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty healthy. He looked strong. He looked like he was in good shape. So I don't want to I don't want to make a claim one way or the other, but I guess I would have a little bit more comfort, just a little bit, knowing he looked as good as he did even in a losing effort. Do you share that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a very good way of putting it. And I just thought that early on, the way that he incorporated a lot of the different elements of MMA that weren't available to Alex in kickboxing I thought really threw him off of his game. The hand fighting in particular, I thought, was something that really stood out in those first couple of rounds where he was grabbing the wrists, he was grabbing the gloves, he was doing things that are legal in MMA that you don't see in kickboxing to kind of show Alex, like, listen, this is a different world here. This is a different realm, and you're going to have to beat me without all of the, the same available tools that you had, or at least, you know, you have to have more of the tools that make a complete mixed martial artist in order to defeat me in my world. And I thought that he outclassed uh, Alex pretty early on in that fight. And then, like I mentioned, that power of Alex Pereira is no joke. And all it takes is one one single strike to throw you off of your game. That's how powerful this guy is. And when I see all these people being like, oh, well, he's not facing guys that can take him down. He's, you know, Robert Whitaker would take him down and hold him there. Try getting close to this guy. You know, try taking him down and, and getting hit with elbows to the side of the head or getting hit with uppercuts. Yeah, people are just completely dismissing the primary weapon of this guy just because his ground game might not be quite as refined. I will say what kind of stands out to me about this whole fight was that basically Alex did to Izzy what Izzy did to that division where he ha- Izzy had this massive striking advantage basically over the rest of the division. He could play prevent defense everywhere he needed to to more or less let that reign over the course of his fights. But that didn't work against Pereira because he couldn't he got one takedown of four that was nice that third round one that was pretty good but he couldn't ever really replicate it and so as a consequence like Izzy forcing his opponents to stand he kind of had to spend much more time in a let's what do you want to call it a risk centric 
way of the uh, a place, uh, you know, uh, up against the cage where there's just a shit ton of risk. And obviously, Alex is the more devastating kickboxer of the two. So do you feel like Pereira kind of used Izzy's magic against him in the way that Izzy had used it against the division? Well, if anything, he just leveled the playing field, right? I mean, Israel was such a step ahead of the competition in terms of striking that what's the thing that's going to take Israel out of his game? And maybe it's a heavy grappling approach that somebody like a Bo Nickel eventually would have taken against him. But if you take somebody who's as good of a striker or even better of a striker, because like I mentioned, I think that in terms of credentials, it doesn't get much better than uh, Alex Pereira in terms of MMA. I think that he just kind of has found his match in terms of what he is best at. And that was going to be the thing that was the X factor in this fight and turned out to be that thing. And as much as Israel was using a lot of the different elements of MMA that took Alex out of his, you know, primary, uh, you know, best path to victory, I do think that when you look at what Alex was able to do in there eventually and just by by staying in the fight, by being motivated, by knowing that his power was going to translate and that in his mind, I'm sure he felt he was the superior striker, was enough for him to continue to be a threat as the entire fight went on. Yeah, and when you say level the playing field, you have to go back to those calf kicks by by Pereira. That's the best thing you could do against somebody who moves so well with great footwork and then obviously has all-time great sublime striking work like that. I mean, we've never seen Izzy compromised like that, where if it wasn't a, a miscalculation of the danger that he faced, you know, or he had to stay in the pocket because of the calf kicks putting him there, that's the best way that, that Pereira was able to overcome the lack of experience between them. And really, you know, the, a lot of that, the technique, even though obviously what Alex Pereira does, as we just saw, is very dangerous on itself. That leveled the playing field more than anything. So, Aaron, we we played up the, the narrative coming in of, you know, does Pereira have Izzy's number and will that factor into this fight? Now we're likely heading to a rematch, as you mentioned, and you know the early odds makers that flood out those emails have Adesanya as the potential favorite in a rematch. Well, hey, he controlled that fight for four and a half rounds before being stopped. I get that. But do you think this only adds to whatever percentage of that pie is true that Pereira is or will still be in Izzy's head? I mean, when you've beaten a guy twice, including by knockout, then you follow him into his new sport and you knock him out after losing four-plus rounds. It was literally a, a redo of their second kickboxing fight in how that played out. Um, you know, what type of mental rebuilding is Izzy going to have to do knowing that this guy's got him twice now? Well, you know, it's funny. And I think the odds are based on the fact that if you look at the duration of all three of those fights and you were to say, who is winning the, the majority of these fights? Israel is the clear answer. Like, Israel is winning and dictating the pace of a lot of the, the time of that fight. But again, it's that primary weapon of Ferreira and his ability to find that left hook, no matter how much you, you know that it's coming. He's always able to find it. And that's what makes him, in my opinion, such a devastating fighter and such a big threat to anybody that faces him because you know what's coming. And even though I think in terms of his uh, matchups in the UFC, you know, Bruno Santos fought a, a really good defensive game plan because he, he was, I think, fighting knowing that that left hook was going to come out of nowhere. Even still, he's so devastating with it and so precise with it. And it comes so quickly that no matter how much you prepare for this, uh, you know, I think that he's always going to have that weapon at his disposal as, as long as a fight goes on. So even if Israel wins four and a half rounds, you just never know if that left hook is going to be able to connect. And, and that's what, what makes this such an intriguing matchup if it happens for a fourth time. Because will Israel finally be able to get the best of him? Israel knows what's coming. Israel's a brilliant, brilliant fighter. He's got high, as high fight IQ as anybody that there is. But no matter how many of those intangibles you have, 
when Pereira has that left hand and the, the speed and precision in which he's able to execute with, he's just so dangerous at all times. All right, so then let's talk about what is next. Now, you want to see the rematch. Fine. But make the case for me along these lines, right? Make the case for the viewers, for us here, that the second fight between them in MMA, the fourth overall, which is crazy, but make the case that that's a better choice than booking Robert Whitaker. I know he's got to fight with Paulo Costa, but just hear me out. They could they could change that if they wanted to. Booking Robert Whitaker, where then Izzy gets the winner of Whitaker versus Pereira. Well, the case that I'm making is is one that's full of money, because you don't want to <laughs> squander this rematch, right? I mean, that's the case. If you're a promotion, you know that that's the fight to make. I mean, everybody's going to want to see it again. I don't think anybody's going to walk into that fight being like, oh, this guy just has Israel's number. He's gonna, it's going to be you know, 4-0 and for Alex. I think everybody's intrigued as ever after that fight on Saturday because people saw that Israel had that fight. Like, it was in the palm of his hands. And all of the talk about, oh, this guy, you know, he can't go five rounds. He doesn't know what he's getting into here. Completely, that narrative's gone. It's out the window. Rip up that piece of paper and throw it, throw it away because... That's what makes this rematch a necessity. Like, I just think that unless, again, there's some sort of health ramifications here, it's the clear fight to make next. Yeah, uh, yeah. You just, you, 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 you nailed it. I love Robert Whitaker, but you nailed it. I, I didn't want to let any time go by, though, without giving you a chance to comment on what's going on in Connecticut. And I don't just mean, you know, the, my career or Chuck Mindenhall's. I mean... Greater Danbury, Bethel, Connecticut, and what that gym's doing with Glover Teixeira, Fernelli Feliz Sr. I mean, look, uh, Dom Reyes did not have a great comeback fight. That's a separate topic, though. But they now got two world champions out of that gym. Glover getting a chance to re regain his back. Is this just like right two or three group of guys at the right time? Or do you think that, that, that Glover's building something special there? Yeah, I think that Glover's... Um you know, Teixeira, mixed martial arts, it's going to be a destination for people. And you look at that coaching team, you've got him, you've got Polino Cruz, you mentioned Feliz. I mean, it's just a really solid team that is building great fighters. And we also do have to point out, though, on that card, the two fighters from that gym that fought prior to Alex lost. And Alex has to have that in the back of his head going into that that final fight, right? So while they are building a lot of good talent, you know, I, I still think that the cream is going to rise to the top. And, you know, it was sad to see Dominic Reyes lose in the way that he did. Uh, Wellington Terman, I think, was a little bit outmatched as well. But, you know, I, I just think that that is a great situation for those fighters because they can focus entirely on fighting. I don't know how familiar you are with the greater Danbury area, but I can't imagine that there are too many distractions from the fighting world. And I, one of my favorite. do you guys watch the UFC countdown? Yes. Yes. My favorite is, it's like a Rambo scene, and you've got Alex with the, the archery and the bow and arrow, and you see him in the trees. And then it just turns out to be like Glover's backyard, and he's out on the porch waving to him. I just thought that that was a... <laughs> That was a weird uh, uh, <laughs> cinematic choice. But, yeah, I just think that these guys could focus entirely on fighting, and that's what makes it such a cool gym and a good situation for these fighters. Also, we didn't really talk about it on Saturday. We don't have time to get into it today. It does seem like, yes, it's a good place for fighters to go to, but the Glover-Alex connection appears to be extra special, right? That appears to be something that they're both getting from each other that you know, I'm not sure they can even share with the wider gym no matter what. They, ha- they seem to have some kind of you know, Yoda, Luke Skywalker kind of bond going on, um, and it's lifting uh, their performances, to put it mildly. All right, let's talk about the co-main event here, Aaron. Zhang Wiley, I mean, this one, of all the fights on the card, you know, this one and the Aaron Blanchfield ones, we kind of saw coming. Sure enough, we did think that Carla Esparza put up a little bit better of a fight than maybe some of her 
most negative detractors would have thought. But in the end, it was academic. Zhang Wiley gets the submission from Crucifix, if you can believe that shit. Um, all right, yeah, the, the from, Crucifix from the back. So let me ask the question this way. How long will this championship reign of Zhang Wiley last, Aaron Bronstetter? Well, I think that we are buying into a little bit of recency bias here because, I, you know, going into this fight, you heard people talking about this. And as the fight went on, you're thinking, outside of, like, catastrophic injury, there's no path here for Carla Esparza. As, as difficult as that is to say, because we're talking about a championship fighter. It's like, where was the path? Anytime they got into grappling exchanges, Zhang had answers. And that was, that's Carla's primary weapon, and she was able to completely nullify it. I think that Zhang Weili looked really good in that fight, and also in the Ioana fight, as a result of the quality of opponent. Not, not necessarily that Zhang Weili is, at this stage, so much head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, she's lost twice to Rose. I think that uh, we're seeing Amanda Lemos start to come on as well, and I think, selfishly, that's the fight I would like to see next, because I just think there would be an amazing matchup. Um, you know, Andrade got caught by Zhang Weili in that first fight. That doesn't necessarily mean that she can't beat her if they were to match up again. I just think right now Zhang is riding so high based on what we've seen from her recently that mm. it makes it difficult to think that anybody's going to be able to beat her. But uh, that being said, I think that might just be the, the, the matchup in those situations for her. I thought those were very favorable matchups, and you can always look really, really good in those situations. Okay, to some degree, I agree on the favorable matchups there. I also agree that that you know she's in the conversation here for two time champion. The the way she's rounding out her game, the 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 how dominant she is in certain skills. Young Wei Li's entering the conversation soon of you know potentially being the best strawweight we've ever seen in this deep great division. But Luke asking you how long the reign will last really. It really re- resides in whether she can finally get over that Rose Hill. And while I'm more of a Rose Homer and, you know, five-star review on that documentary there, UFC Fight Pass, well done. Um, I want that trilogy next to ultimately decide that. But here's the deal. I think if we're going to take a lot from this performance from Wei Li mixed with the other two performances, one win, one loss since losing her belt, it's how she's rounding out her ground game first in wrestling, now showing you what she can do with the, with the you know, submission game here too. That's going to help her completely round out and be great against against anybody. But I think it's the striking gap that's still preventing her from getting over the hill against Rose. I want to know, AB, if you agree with that and in, in, in what you think a line would look like betting-wise if Rose versus Wei Li was next for, for the trilogy. I think Wei Li would be probably a minus 150 favorite, if I had to guess. Something along those lines. Um I think, like you mentioned with Wei Li, the well-roundedness is her, you know, biggest thing. You know, on the feet, she can hang with anybody. On the ground, she can hang with anybody. So you're going to have to fight a pretty perfect game plan, like Rose did last year at MSG, mind you, to, to beat somebody as good as Zhang Wei Li. Um, if, you, if she fights Lemos, I think Lemos has a really good power advantage, uh, you know, against anybody in that division. She's got a crazy knockdown rate compared to the next best one in the strawweight division. And she's got a pretty good submission game as well. However, she's also, I think, going to be 36 by the time they would match up if they do end up making that fight. I, I, I would like to see some new challengers emerge in this division. And um, we, we've seen the same champions. It's been like a carousel of the same yeah. champions at Strawweight because there's been such an elite class of them. I'm hoping that there will be at least another challenger that will rise to the occasion and become a threat. But well, uh, yeah, Wei Li, I think right now, would be favored against anybody in the division. No, no AB, problem. If the- 
if they liked your plan and went with Lamos next just for what you said, let's mix it up, let's get new people in, we don't have to have trilogies of every matchup right now. If they did it in China, that would make a lot more sense marketing-wise as, you know, Wei Li represents a very big opportunity for them to continue to make inroads there. If that plays out that way and they prefer Rose to get another shot, do you have a preference here matchmaking-wise on who Rose would n- need to fight that would could be like a quasi-number one contenders match? Probably Lamosh, right? Like, I mean, if you want to get Rose no, no, back Le- into the mix. Under this scenario, Lamosh would fight the champion, so so that okay, would leave so, it open. So then is Rose against someone else? Um, maybe Andrade again. I'll you know have a trilogy fight between them, but Andrade is moving to 125 for her next fight against Lauren Murphy, right? So then you know by process of elimination, who's left? I mean, would it be Marina Rodriguez? There's not a whole lot of options right now at the yeah, top of that okay. division, unless there's something Jan, I'm forgetting. Yan Shaonan uh, or Mackenzie yeah, Dern. Yeah, Yan Shaonan is a good options. one too because she just beat Mackenzie Dern, so she's in that mix. Rose versus Yan Shaonan is a, a good one. I like that. Okay. Yeah, I, don't I don't think he has the love for the 115 like I do, Luke. I think he just shared it with the, with the world, okay? Okay, it's Rose Dude, versus I'm not Whaley sure. Next. I'm not sure three. anyone has love three. for 115 okay. quite like you do. Okay, Rose versus Whaley 3 is next because people like stories and money. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, Aaron, just real quickly on Carla Esparza. How do you view long-term the role she played in this era of strawweight? Because on the one hand, she had a great winning streak over legit competition. Some of those by the skin of her teeth, but she did stack W's on top of each other. She was a two-time champion, one of which she won awfully, but one time she won quite spectacularly and thoroughly. And yet, when we think about the heavy hitters of this era of the Yoanas, the Zhang Lees, the Roses, Carla seems to be orbiting a little bit outside of that space, despite being a two-time champion. How do you do you view her placement relative to those other ones in this era of women's strawweight? I think Carla's legacy is kind of set now. I mean, she was... Her story is she's the first champion of the division in the history of the UFC. And then after, I think it was, what, eight years, was able to somehow claw her way back into a position to win the title. And regardless of how it's won, she still won that fight. You know, you can say it was a boring fight, but she did what was needed at that time. Her game plan was enough to stifle Rose to the point that Rose Woods became a completely defensive fighter for whatever reason on that night that she was able to recapture the title. So that's Carla Esparza's story, and it's a great story. You know, I don't think that people should be writing her off in the way that she has been after that event. I saw, like, Nico Montano comparisons. No. I don't know. She ran the gauntlet of the toughest strawweights that were available to her in the Ultimate Fighter house to become the champion. Lost to Joanna. You know, had Joanna been in the house, maybe she never would have been champion to begin with. But that being said, she's always going to be the first strawweight champion in UFC history. And that story is always going to exist that so many years later, she was able to recapture the title. And that'll inspire future champions as well. So... I don't think anybody should be taking anything away from Carla Esparza after this. She ran into a really bad matchup that I think stylistically her back was up against the wall, you know, right from the jump. Yeah, in the era of 205, when it was the division of kings, guys like Hanato Sobral never got a title, but they were always kind of right there, giving the other guys usually tough fights and then beating everybody else. She kind of reminds me a little bit, a little bit of that, uh, although, you know, being a two-time title holder is a little bit different as well. All right, let's talk about the crazy-ass fight on this card. Jeez Louise. Dustin Poirier submits Michael Chandler in the third round, but now without a little bit of controversy, including some potential cheating controversy, which I want to get to. But first, A.B., the first question to ask you is the following. What did Dustin Poirier prove with this win? He proved what he always proves. He just does not go away. You have to put him out if you want to beat him, because down the stretch, he will always be the better fighter. And, you know, watching the fight backstage, Chandler's 
nailing them with big shots in the first night. And I'm saying to the people next to me, I go, Poirier's got him right where he wants him. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, Chandler's pouring it on him right now. Because this fight could end at any second. I'm like, no, no, no. This is what Dustin Poirier wants. He wants Chandler to put all of his eggs in one basket. Throw the, the, the kitchen sink at him early on. Because down the stretch, he's going to be able to, you know, for him, this was sprint versus marathon. That's exactly what this was. This was a sprint for Michael Chandler. Get this guy out of there by any means possible early on. And if not, you know, you're going to lose this fight. And that's what happened. I mean, at the end of the first round, when Chandler's gas tank started to dwindle, Poirier poured it on and stole that round with those big strikes to end it. Second round, Chandler does things smart, takes him down, wins the round by controlling him, get, you know, is able to catch his breath. And then by the third round, he wasn't able to catch enough breath, and Dustin Poirier is a builder. He might be the, one of the best builders in the history of MMA, because as the fight goes on, he solves the puzzle, and then he is able to best you and, and put it on you in ways that are very, very violent and very, very determined. And that's what he did on Saturday, and that's what he will continue to do for as long as you allow him to be in a fight. Because I don't think we're going to see Dustin Poirier lose a decision, unless, you know, unless it's against a guy like Islam who wrestles him. Because as the fight goes on, his power never seems to go away. He seems to be able to maintain his cardio, and his will just continues to grow and grow as the fight goes on. Yeah, this was everything we wanted it to be, and, and I think more. I think it actually exceeded the wild expectations that this fight had coming in where we're like, okay, give, give it a round, a round and a half, it'll be a incredible brawl, and then somebody's going down. God, there were like 17 near finishes, like Steamboat versus Savage here, you know what I'm saying here? In that regard, I felt it was going to be over at so many different points. So the stakes for this changed in a weird way coming in. With the Alexander Volkanovsky announcement, what, 24 hours before, uh, to get the next lightweight title shot. So I want to ask you a two-part question on if that hadn't happened, if that fight hadn't been announced, if it was still wide open, would we be talking about Dustin Poirier getting a third full crack at this lightweight title after this exact performance? And on that flip side, if it is going to be Volkanovski next, what did Poirier secure beyond respect and another great name on his resume? Poirier was able to remind everybody what he's made of and that he is a championship caliber fighter. You know, one fight does not make a career. And that loss to Charles Oliveira when Charles Oliveira was on fire, you know, I, I think that that is something that Dustin Poirier coming off of two Conor fights might not have been prepared for at the time. But right now, you look at this kind of a performance, and uh, it just reminds you just how good Dustin Poirier is. And on the flip side, you know, my colleague Robin Black at TSN raised a very good point about Michael Chandler. Like, Michael Chandler is, is not making the best decisions in there because he wants to put on a show. He wants to perform. And it's worked out for him great from a lucrative standpoint. He's making a lot of money. He's getting bonuses. You know, he's, he just extended his contract with the, uh, the UFC, got a new contract, rather. And he's fighting to entertain. And I think... For Michael Chandler, that'll do really well for his bank account. But he makes a lot of mistakes along the way as a result of that. And he's run into three elite fighters in Gaethje, Oliveira, and now Poirier, where had he fought a little bit smarter, maybe been a little bit more calculated in his decisions rather than trying to put on a show, maybe he would have won some of those fights. So I think that the, you know, the success of Dustin Poirier also is a, a symptom of Michael Chandler perhaps not having the best game plan in these fights and not... I don't know. Not thinking long term in terms of how the fight is going to play out and, you know, really trying to gas pedal a lot of these opponents. And Dustin Poirier is absolutely the wrong fighter to gas pedal because down the stretch, he will outrun you. I don't know, Luke. I want to I want to argue that. And you brought up a good idea, Luke, about Chandler potentially 
trying to take some of that energy and focusing it more in one strategic area, which isn't too different from what AB's trying to present here. But I just look at Chandler at 36 coming over from Bellator, even though Eddie Alvarez had made that same conversion. We did remember the Will Brooks story where, you know, it wasn't going to be automatic, but I think he took all of his abilities that were left in, in elite and put it, rolled them into one giant punch. And is it reckless? Yes. But he was that close to winning the damn lightweight title. And in his mid to late 30s, in this killer top 10 of great old names going out and new ones coming in, I, I, I could almost argue that this is the best use of his powers, as reckless as it is. And it can cause big mistakes, but he also can break people. That barrage of punches he put on in the second half of round one before, as you mentioned, it looked like he started to gas. You know, if, if, if you don't have the chin and, and ability of, of Poirier right there, you're, you're probably getting knocked out. And that's what he does in financially rewarding, but he may also get Connor next for all we know. So, you know, I wonder if had he gone the other way and fought as, as straight up, I mean, he's given up size in a lot of these matchups too against the, the elite lightweights. I mean, his, his record may end up being the exact same. So instead, he did it his way, had fun, lived a rock star lifestyle, and cashed big checks. And because of how reckless he is, it's going to help the aging process because we're never going to know exactly what he has left. Does that make any sense? Or am I just trying to mimic my career after his attitude here? Because I'm about entertainment too, Luke, okay? AB, here's where I'm at on this one. I, I think I'd split the difference a little bit. My view on it is uh, in the three fights that he lost, if he had fought a little bit more strategically, I think he probably could have won at most one of those more. So, like, do I think the results would be different? And again, I mean, I'm just making this up. I don't, I don't, I don't have evidence to prove it, but it's sort of my sense of things that had he tailored his fighting strategies a little bit more in line with like a coordinated strategic vision of things, could he have gotten another win? Maybe even two. It's possible. I don't think he would have gotten the two, but I do think he would have gotten at least one of them. But the reality is, to BC's point, it's not a major trade-off in wins losses. I mean, you know, three or two and three doesn't look great, but it would, with three and two is not significantly better. And more to the point, he has made himself like such an attraction to the fans and to potential opponents down the line by virtue of how much this buzz is created in the way in which he's come over and fought. So, like, I get that there could be more wins on the ledger. But it's hard for me to believe he'd be quite the sensation and then setting himself up for other things in the way if had he fought a, a more strategic version of things. Like, in other words, I'm not going to say it's all a wash. I actually think he probably made the right call in the end to do what he's doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't argue the other way on that. I think that if he ends up getting the Connor fight, because right now I think he's by far the most attractive option there, then him fighting for bank account is going to pay off. He might not be the champion of the UFC, but if he gets a fight with Connor, I don't. I think that he would probably prefer that to becoming a UFC champion. I think that would be a massive attraction <laughs> fight. I think, honestly, when Connor is ready to come back, I think they're going to present him with two options. Do you want Tony Ferguson or do you want Michael Chandler? And I think those, those are going to be the, the two possibilities for Connor in his return. I think Chandler is probably the the has the early lead in that regard. So if that's what Chandler, you know, when Chandler came to the UFC, he said, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And that has proven to be very, very true. Well, AB, quickly on this, because I was so enthralled and entertained, and we knew these guys would do this. Of this lightweight era of action heroes, which is Poirier, Chandler, Eddie Alvarez was in there, uh, Gaethje still making them great, you know, uh, Tony, Connor, I mean, all those guys kind of fought each other the best they could. Where does this Saturday's Chandler versus Poirier in your eyes rank 
in terms of the best action fights those guys have produced? It's up there, but I actually think Chandler versus Alvarez was probably, like, those two fights were probably better than that one this past weekend. Um, And, you know, you hate to use recency bias because that was such a great fight, but I think Gaethje versus Alvarez was better. I think Gaethje versus Poirier was better. Gaethje versus Chandler may have even been better. Like, Gaethje is really producing the best results of the bunch in terms of these action fights. Um, if you look at what he's been able to produce since coming to the UFC. I mean, th- that guy's just never in boring fights. Um, so if I were to, like, give a, uh, an award for, you know, best action star, if I was handing out the, the Oscar for that, uh, the, the, the action hero would be Justin Gaethje. I think that his fights are just always, always entertaining. And, I mean, hey, look at Michael Chandler also. He hasn't produced a dud yet either. So um, I think that that's interesting. Because Gaethje's been in the best ones, though. Gaethje has tried his best to tailor his cra- caveman crazy style and make it a little bit more, you know, title contending. And, and maybe that took a little bit off of his, yeah, I'm just going to go out there to, to make the kind of shit that Chandler's making purposely every single time. But to your point, Gaethje might have been in the better ones overall in this in this stretch. I mean, Gaethje versus Eddie, Gaethje versus Pori. I mean, they, they've just been, I mean, we've been spoiled. We've been spoiled across the board. Luke, you don't like to rank action fights, but they're awesome, okay? Well, I got to say, I think I agree with AB that Gaethje has been probably the greatest catalyst for exciting fights. But fucking Chandler's knockout of Ferguson is, wow. That is, that's up there with one of the best knockouts I've ever fucking seen. You know what I mean? So um, the overall body of work probably goes to Gaethje, but that individual piece of brilliance would go to Chandler in terms of like guys coming over to UFC from other organizations. A couple more points on this fight I want to get to with you, AB. Number one. The fish hooking allegation. Now, there's a video that came out. I don't like to accuse fighters of cheating unless we have, like, NFL rules, incontrovertible evidence. I don't know that we have incontrovertible evidence, but there is a very slowed down piece of video where you can see he doesn't quite have the choking arm, and then he lifts his hand like this and pulls and then slides. It's hard to know exactly what really went in his mouth or what Michael Chandler knew he was pulling. It's a little hard to say. But it doesn't look great for Chandler. What do you make of this? Oh, my God. Cheating in MMA. Ooh. <laughs> this never happens, does it? I mean, it's the referee's job. Stand them up. Take a point. I mean, we see this all the time. People are making a big deal of this. Yeah, it's dirty. But, I mean, do we see dirty stuff in MMA all the time? Do we see cage grabs? Do we see people grabbing the gloves? It looks a lot dirtier. I mean, that's the thing. Optically, it's a lot more visceral to see somebody stub their hand in someone's mouth and, and lift their mouth up. But again, the referee's got to be on top of the action there and, and do something about it. Otherwise, we're just going to keep seeing cheating and fouls that don't get called. It's, and it's hard also because taking a point away, is, it's, it has such a profound effect on a three-round fight that the referees often won't do it. But at, you know, at least take away position or do something that's going to penalize a fighter for, for doing something like that. And I know Dustin Poirier was furious about it. In fact... There was also a clash of heads in the first round that a lot of people didn't see that rocked Dustin Poirier. Like, that was really the catalyst for that big uh, barrage that Michael Chandler was able to land. I actually told Poirier when I interviewed him afterwards, I go, you know, that was like a clash of heads. He goes, oh, I knew it. He goes, I blacked out. I didn't see anything coming. And it just, in the first round, that was one of the things that, and, you know, the referee kind of missed it. He probably could have called the timeout and let Dustin Poirier recover. But, you know, obviously the referee's going to have the angle that they're going to have. And these things happen at such a blink of an eye that oftentimes you won't catch it. But again, it's one of those situations where I think a lot of people are making more of it than they normally would some sort of foul that is committed during a fight that doesn't really have anything happen as a result of it. 
Well, AB, I, I think say, they're fish making ho- it. Fish hooking fouls are gross as shit, though. Like, of all time, gross yeah. fouls. That's gross as fuck. Okay, well, you guys are both that's, missing. That's why people pay more attention to it. Uh, sorry to interrupt your conversation, guys, but you're both missing a big part of this equation, which is why the fans were so grossed out and also why Poirier was so pissed is we've seen before when the fighter on top is bleeding, as Chandler was, that they sort of try to angle the dripping of their blood to fall in the face of their opponent to blind him. We've seen that before. But Chandler, according to Poirier, and we've got video and have you seen the shit that might prove it, Chandler was shooting bloody snot rockets, like aiming them at Poirier's face while trying to land ground and pound. That's next level grimy to me that goes beyond holding the gloves or grabbing the fence. Would you agree that that's enough to... A, justify how pissed Poirier was, but B, like, we do have to say, did, did Chandler go, like, morally a little bit too far here with that grossness? I took a refereeing course, and snot rockets are not one of the fouls that are illegal in MMA. So snot rockets are fair game in terms of MMA. Now, of course, if he's fishhooking him and holding his mouth open to shoot snot rockets into his nose, that's where the foul that's where the foul is. I don't know. This, re- this really is a stupid show. I really have to just say that out loud here. We're talking no. about shooting boogers in each other's mouths. But I think there is a line. I think that does cross to me. What You know what I mean? Like, that does cross to me a, a line of, of what's acceptable. I'd be pissed if I was poor. I'd go right for the nuts if I was him. I would have. I would have gone well, right after. didn't. He wanted to knock him out in the third. Dude, Poirier uh, tried to open his cut with two hands. This was after... Uh, yeah, you can't do that Chandler either. shot not yep. Yeah, you can't do that shit. All right, last question on this, and we'll move on to something else in the card. Benil Dariush. Now, I had him. I interviewed him. He just is not interested at all in calling anyone out. But, geez, Louise, man, Aaron, you know this as well as I do. That guy has earned himself something. What does the UFC do with Benil Dariush? And here's the caveat, if they're trying to do right by him. Easy answer. You book him against Dustin Poirier. I think that's the fight to make. And I think that would figure out the rightful number one contender in this division. Uh, Benilo, I think, knows he needs to wait a little bit if he's going to try to get a, ch- a title fight off of his last win. But I also think that he wants to be busy. Like He, he took a little bit of time off. He had a, a child and dedicated a lot of his time, of course, to his family during that time. So I think he wants to stay busy. And I think him versus Dustin Poirier would be a, like a phenomenal fight night main event that you can make if you're going to start going back to bigger arenas for fight nights. Like That's the kind of fight that you want to see headlining a uh, fight night if you're going to be buying tickets to an event. Uh, I think they have to make that fight happen next and basically say that the winner of this fight should be number one for the, the lightweight championship. All right, I totally agree. Let's move on now to number four. I've got this question worded a different way, but I'd like to start with this. Frankie Edgar, Ugh, that sucked to watch, candidly. Uh, he gets flatlined. By Chris Gutierrez in the first. Seemed to be barely in the fight at all. Uh, I'll just pitch this one to you. And I want to talk about some other players on this card in relation to Frankie. First things first, Aaron. Your response to what happened with Frankie Edgar. Any thoughts about his career? What do you want to say about Frankie Edgar? Now that this is the last time we'll talk about him post-fight. Well, Frankie Edgar is just an absolute legend. I mean, look at those fights that he had against Gray Maynard. Would you have imagined that his chin would have held up as long as it did? To the point where he started to just start getting knocked out, knocked out in the later part of his career. And he was he was one of the most durable guys that we've ever seen in the sport. And eventually, when you fight eight hours of UFC fight time, that chin is not going to have as as much hold as it has in the past. And that's what we saw on on Saturday, unfortunately. And you know, it, it was awful to watch at MSG to see him drop like that. But at the same time, that's Chris Gutierrez doing his job and. Also, when you really unpack it, Chris Gutierrez is fighting with the emotions of finding out that his coach had kidney cancer 
leaves the hospital, comes to New York, he's walking around with a cane to be in his corner. I don't think he cares about Frankie Edgar and Frankie Edgar's health in that moment. Uh, you know, he's doing what he has to do to win that fight and fight for his coach, who's, who has a, a pretty remarkable battle in front of him as well. But we, we always hate to see fighters like this. And then you look ahead to this card in Brazil. We've got Shogun Hua against Ihor Poteria. Why are they booking these fights? Like, why are you taking these guys that have a foot out the door and putting them against people that have no profile in the sport at this point in time? No disrespect to Chris Gutierrez or Poteria. Book a fight where you know that he has a shot of at least producing something exciting. Like, book him against Dominic Cruz or book him against Uriah Faber. Like, we have options here. There's no reason to have him fight somebody that's going to try to build a name off of him at MSG in his backyard in his final fight. <laughs> like, to me, I just don't like that kind of booking. I don't think it makes sense. And they always say there's no easy fights in the UFC. I subscribe to that. But at least give the fans something that they can enjoy watching instead of having all of the air come out of the building when you see an absolute legend go down like that in Frankie Edgar. It was horrible to watch. Uh... The backstage where I was, it was completely silent after the fact. Everybody's concerned about the guy. And you have to be concerned about his long-term health after all of these. Like, you look at the Korean zombie knockout, the Ortega knockout. Like, these are vicious, vicious knockouts. And for him to end his career like that, I think, is, is something that didn't need to happen. Let me, let me follow up real quickly, if I may. What is the biggest Frankie Edgar fight we didn't get? Is the answer Dominic Cruz? Oh, like that could have been booked for this past weekend? Yeah, probably Dominic But not even this past weekend, but like in the totality of the Frankie Edgar experience, what was the one like we just didn't get? Yeah, I mean, Frankie versus Cruz is a good one. There's not a whole lot of history there because Cruz is like the WEC guy and Frankie Edgar's the guy who moved from 55 down to 35 eventually. So I'm not really sure if that would have necessarily been uh, the one to make. But I think I think that would have been... Connor's um, the answer, guys. Guys, you know, Connor that, that's kind of the, the one answer. that got away, I guess. Yeah, it should have been Connor McGregor. There was that window. It, it, the window was there twice, actually. To be fair, didn't happen. Yeah, for sure. At some point, like that would have been a cool one to make, also, especially with the lightweight division not ha- being quite as developed historically as it was at that point in time, where Edgar at that time was probably the best champion the division ever had. All right, now let me follow it up here with staying on this idea of guys being potentially done. Now, Frankie's in a very different scenario than the other two gentlemen I'm about to mention. I'm not making this claim to say that they are equivalent, but rather that one situation gives us some concern or some pause or something to think about with the other two, namely Dominic Reyes and Brad Riddell. Dominic Reyes getting flatlined in the first round for the third time in a row. Well, he got flatlined in the second round in the other two, but flatlined ultimately for the third time in a row. Brad Riddell getting finished in the first round for the second time. Now, Brad Riddell just took to Instagram to say he's taking a break from MMA. I can't read the whole long thing, but he's basically saying that um, I'm going to, you know, uh, let's see. I'm going to step away from competing in MMA for a good while until the fire to compete comes back. I'm not performing close to my capability, which I agree with. And it's a dangerous job if you're not fully present. Totally agree. Really admire this from him. But it now leads us to this conversation about Dominic Reyes. What the fuck does he do, A.B.? Well, Dominic Reyes did what Brad Riddell's doing. He took time off. When I spoke to him at weigh-ins, this was a completely different guy. Like He was so rejuvenated, so reborn, so excited about getting in there. You know, to, to see him lose to Ryan Spann that way, I think it's just, that's got to be so devastating for him on a personal level. To, to go forward 
at this stage, I don't know, man. Like, who can you put him against that you're not going to be worried is going to just crack him and put him out in the first round in, in this division? I still think Dominic Reyes is a really, really good fighter, but it's very difficult to watch him lose like that so many times in a row, especially when he was so close to becoming the light heavyweight champion. Like, I think that took a mental toll on him that we will never know and that maybe he will never know in terms of his motivation to perform in this sport. But I do hope that if Dominic Reyes chooses to continue his career, that he's given a, you know, a, a more winnable fight for him to try to at least get himself on the right page mentally going forward where he can, he can have uh, you know, a win that will rejuvenate him just a little bit. But after those three losses, if he wanted to retire or if the UFC wanted to part ways with him and say, hey, listen, I, you know, we're, we're a little bit worried about where this is going to go, I wouldn't be shocked either way. Yeah, he already put on IG that um, he tried too hard to make a big statement. <clears throat> you know, it's all his fault. He'll be fine. He'll be back. But at 32, it's like if they did cut him, you know, you'd have to believe other promotions would be jumping over themselves to try to rejuvenate him themselves. So, yeah, this is <laughs> a very interesting spot. How many more? Opp- I mean, does 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 his age alone get him one more opportunity here, Aaron? I think so. And, you know, talking to him again in the lead up to this past fight, he was talking about how much he'd shored up his fight defense, how much his striking defense, rather. And watching the fight, like, listen, I've never been in there. It's not for me to say, you know, what is this guy doing? But that's what I was saying when I was watching that fight, because it seemed like he had no striking defense at that point in time. He wasn't defending himself. And he explained that in his Instagram post after the fact that he just wanted to get that win so badly that it seemed like all of the fundamentals that he had learned going into that fight and, and the mantra that he would have wanted to carry into that fight was completely absent. Um, and that's what makes it me feel even worse for him is because I think he knows he could have performed better in that fight had he not gotten a little bit overzealous. Uh, I would like to see him fight one more time in the UFC. I still think that there's something left in there for him to prove and that with the right opponent and the right mentality going into a fight, the right strategy and following the game plan, I think that he can look a lot better than he did on Saturday. Uh, before we finish off on Frankie Edgar, do you got a fr- favorite Frankie Edgar moment, favorite Frankie Edgar win? Something that stands out to you among the rest in Frankie Edgar events? I can't remember if it ended up being a draw, but when he was basically 10-7 against Gray Maynard in the first round of that fight, <laughs> yes. and then came back, was that, was that one the draw? Yes. Or did he win that fight? I can't yes. even remember because there were so yes. many of them. But that fight yeah. to me, like him, him being able to withstand that and continue to fight and make it a competitive fight, like how many examples of that have we seen ever in MMA? Like you may you may be able to count them on one finger. Like that may be it. Like I don't know if we've ever seen somebody get smoked like that and then continue for a five round fight and look that like that to me is one of the most remarkable performances in MMA history, not just in the history of Frankie Edgar. Yeah, that's All that's right. Juan Manuel Marquez getting dropped three times in the first round against Pacquiao and fighting back in getting a draw in their first fight. It's as rare that type of scenario as you can possibly see. And that's Frankie. So that is the perfect example. Not even a win, right? But that's Frankie. That's that's probably the biggest win he ever had without getting one. That's why he is uh, revered and adored. All right, last but not least, uh, Aaron, it's an open floor. What else from UFC 281, topic number five here, what else from UFC 281, which had a lot to pick out? Give me one more fight winner something that you'd like to spotlight now and tell us why you're giving it that spotlight but we have to talk about aaron blanchfield i mean was he 22 or 23 years old just completely demolishing molly mccann who had all the momentum in the world going into that fight like that was an utter demolition um no other way to put it 
And then I talked to her after the fact, and she is the most even kill human being you will ever meet. Like, nothing phases her. She, uh, she goes into these fights completely emotionally detached from it and looks at it completely as sport. Like, it's all about sportsmanship for her. It's all about being able to prove that she's, you know, basically it's an athletic competition for her. Um, and I think that that's what we're going to see a lot of from the younger stars of mixed martial arts because for them, they didn't grow up in, like, the, like, Tank Abbott, Hoist Gracie weirdo tournament phase of the UFC. They grew up watching... Ronda Rousey and, you know, Conor McGregor and George St. Pierre. Like, this to them is a sport. It's not... We still have the, the, the circus part of MMA in our heads at all time. Like, we grew up in this. But she did not. And a lot of these younger fighters did not either. So, I think that she's going places. She's just so good, so well-rounded. And, you know, I, I tried to prod her and be like, Hey, you know, when Molly said, This is my city and you guys were facing off, I could tell that you, you a little bit of you was angry about that. She was like, Oh, no, you know, it's... It, it's just part of the show, and we're going to go into this, and I'm just going to compete. And I'm, She just is so even keel, and is just such an impressive human being inside and outside of the cage. So I, that's why I want to shine a spotlight on her. Yeah, hashtag holy hammer indeed. Take that, Luke, okay? She's making noise whether you're ready for it or not. New Jersey is in the house. Uh, Aaron, quickly on my end, and then I can uh, hit eject here. But uh, no one brought this up, and I'm surprised. Uh, Pereira bar- barely made weight, Poetan, it seemed. And then knocked out Izzy in the fifth round. He's a two-division champion in glory. Is this a this guy a long-term threat at 205 in the UFC, mm. or should I, you know, take t- take my turn here and, and slow slow my roll? I think his game is more conducive to 205. So absolutely, like this, he looked huge compared to Izzy in the cage. You know, a lot of people were trying to downplay that, but he looked a lot bigger than him. He's taller than him for starters, and not a lot of people in the division in general are taller than Israel. And he just looked massive. Um, so I think 205 could certainly be on the horizon for him down the line. Of course, if Glover ends up winning the title, uh, that fight obviously is not going to happen. But if Yuri ends up winning, perhaps we see somebody try to avenge the loss of their mentor in in Hollywood style and see Poetan move up to 205 and try to become Damn. a two div- uh, champ, 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 so to Damn. speak, with two kickboxing uh, divisional titles and then two in MMA. But uh, let's let's not get get too far ahead of it. But I think that uh, that's something that we should, you know, certainly look at. And another thing we didn't talk about was the stoppage itself, which I thought was a, a great stoppage by Mar- Mark Goddard, but a lot of people seem to disagree. Yeah, Luke, where do you stand on that stoppage? Because I didn't have an issue one bit, but it is a conversation. Yeah, I don't think I had really an issue with it. And, um, you know, I mean, there's always the argument that let's fifth round title fight, very experienced fighters, big stakes, let it go a little bit longer. But my view is basically that he jumped in at an acceptable time, maybe a slightly early for me, but acceptable. And there's a window of acceptability and it's inside of that for me. And also it just seemed to me like he probably saved Izzy a a vicious fucking KO, um, to be honest with you. So yeah, you're right. Um, Luke, I want to remind you that December 8th, I think it was just announced the uh, world MMA awards are going to have their uh, whatever 18th annual uh, affair there in Las Vegas. I think that's a Thursday night. Of course, you know, MK's up for, back-to-back best MMA programming uh, against, you know, Rogan and Ariel and all these people that really make it impossible for us to dream that we could, you know, lift such hardware in the air. But here we are. Uh, Luke, our friend Aaron Bronstetter is going to find out, along with us uh, that night, if he can crack the code of what has been Ariel Hawani's, you know, Ripken-esque streak of best MMA journalists. Um you know, I just happen to be a big Bronstetter fan, so I'm cheering for him here, uh, Luke. But can you know, can you give him a uh, a pep talk, something? I mean, you know, you didn't believe in us, and here we are, Luke. Okay, do you believe yeah. in Bron? 
Abron, so the, the king here. I told everyone who would listen, I didn't believe in us, and then we'd win. So Aaron Bronsetter, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, listen, number 16 Colgate usually does not beat number one Duke, but I'll take my one in a thousand chance and try to, to be Cinderella on that night. But uh, listen, the field for this award is just like, I'm in such great company. I've got, you know, you've got Ariel, you've got Mike Bond, uh, you've got John Morgan, um, and there's one other nominee. That, is it Sean Elshadi? And Sean Elshadi, of course. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't forget our friend Shaheen, who's a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, you know, I, I, just to be in that kind of company alone, is I consider to be a win. Um, so I'm just happy to, to have made it to the show. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I am like number 16 Colgate in this situation. That's how I feel. I'm, I'm just happy to be on CBS for the uh, opening weekend. Well, Before we, we, we love having you on the show, Aaron. So thank yeah. you for, for, for your service. Okay, sir. Before we hit the eject button, real quickly, um, your assessment, your thoughts on Anthony Rubble Johnson passing at the age of 38. Yeah, I, I never, I got to spend one day in my entire MMA career with uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson. It was before I was covering the sport and I was a guest booker and he came to TSN with uh, Daniel Cormier uh, prior to their rematch in Buffalo. And uh, the two of them were just like buddy-buddy there, which you don't see often when you have two people matched up. But, you know, in terms of him as a person, I didn't really get to know him. But as a fighter, I don't think that people can underestimate just how powerful of a man this was. Like, he knocked out Glover Teixeira, who hadn't been knocked out since his debut, I think it was 12 years prior, in 13 seconds. He was the first person to knock out Alexander Gustafsson, and he did it inside of two and a half minutes. Like, I mean, the kind of power that this man had is... Nothing like could he have been the most powerful puncher in the history of MMA pound for pound? Like it's a it's a possibility. Like he's up there with the, the Francis and Ganus of the world, just absolutely devastating power. And you look at the shot that he hit Daniel Cormier with, for Daniel Cormier to survive that, and I think Cormier has said that that was the biggest shot he's ever taken in a fight. Like I think that's gonna be what he's remembered for as being one of the guys that one of the best fighters to never win a title. And um also just for that legendary power. Like, it, you don't see that kind of power come along very often in, in this sport, and, and he absolutely possessed it. So, you know, rest in peace. It's always sad to see young people, especially <laughs> with Elias Theodore recently in his late 30s, mm-hmm. now Anthony Johnson in his late 30s. Like, he's just got to count your blessings that, you know, every day above ground is a good day, and uh, be, be happy for what we have in this world. And if you look at Anthony Johnson's last... Um, Instagram, it's kind of like a meme. It was like him slapping his younger self kind of thing. Like, it's hard. You don't want to live with regrets, but it's always important to, uh, you know, to, to just just be thankful for what we have in this life. Well said. said and, it, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, well said. And, you know, and it makes it makes us uh, take stock of what we have and, 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 you know, be thankful. And I'm here to apologize for openly criticizing your claim that you were a high school athlete uh aaron because you know my friendship know. with well, you well that's means not more true, though that. i never said i was a high school athlete let's like let's not get it twisted here but of the three options that luke gave me yeah with me being like somebody who recreationally played basketball it was more accurate than me being a mathlete having failed math twice and then uh, i forgot what the other option was the third option was something that was also not conducive to who i was as a person so like, i felt like i, I had just to took pull the that best option out of your three. back Okay, I'm sorry, Aaron. I'm sorry. All right. For you to right. doubt my athletic abilities, I think is very fair. So you don't need to, you you need to apologize for absolutely nothing. The ch- All right, champ. Champ does what he wants, Luke. Okay. The champ. Champ does what he fucking wants. All the way from Canada with love, Aaron Bronson. If folks want to get more of what you're doing, where do they go? 
Aaron.report. It has all of my platforms, all of my work in one spot. So I got a domain name specifically to make it easier for me to say it on people's shows like this. Just go to one website, www.aaron.report, and you can find everything there. Uh, Aaron, we can't wait to have you back on to recap the first uh, uh, dick slap competition from Dana White. We're all very excited. So great. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. And uh, I'm not sure if I will be there to recap that, but I appreciate the invitation nonetheless. (laughs) Thanks, AB. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, there he goes. The great Aaron Bronstetter, the pride of Toronto, Canada. If you, know I how often, you know how often in MMA when we go, oh, nice guy, but no chance I'd allow him around my kids for more than five minutes. I, I would give Aaron Bronstetter a kidney, Luke, okay? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I wouldn't give him a kidney, but I would trust him around Tukey, if that's what you mean. Okay, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. All right. All right. Uh, I think it's time we're doing DMs from Donks. I don't even know what the fuck we're doing on the show today. How about that? I'm pretty well prepared. I made the rundown. There you uh, go. Hee-haw. 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 There you go. All right. I don't have the list in front of me. Just throw them on the screen. I'm going to read these hoes here. From SAA Hill R16. Worst name ever. Where does 2022 rank all time for the amount of massive upsets in championship fights? I think I have a stat for this, BC. But Please. what's your... What's your no, let me find it first. But what's okay, your so- answer? So my my knee-jerk reaction is to remember, I want to say 2016 because it certainly encompassed that, but to me it was like the end of 2015 into 2016, it hit this run where I suddenly felt like anything was possible, right? We had seen, or I had seen in front of my eyes, Nate upset Connor at that point, you know, down big in that second round uh, at 196. Um Tate rally that same night for sort of a you know crazy finish, and then the big Bisping Rockhold upset that happened at uh, 199. That that stretch that year, and what did we have Rousey Holm right before that to close 2015? I just really you know Aldo losing by one punch against McGregor. That stretch, which was you know arguably the best time to be a fan ever, leading up to the sale uh you know of of the UFC in July of 2016. That stretch to me, I remember you know you could bet the underdog of any UFC main event consistently across the board and just make a ton of money. Oh, uh, Robbie Lawler getting one punch by Woodley. I mean, it was that same friggin' one-year stretch right there, Luke. Statistically, I don't know if that matches up, but that's the last time I can remember where we are now, which is, it was just August that Leon Edwards head kicked Kamaru Usman and, you know, different but similar situation in this fight on Saturday. I'm sure I'm missing countless others upset, uh, other upsets that went down recently, but, uh, yeah, it, it feels rare. Do you have any kind of time frame or, or nuggets here to put me in order? Yeah, so here, we, I'm not so much about 2015, but for 2022, and again, some of these are interim, so just take that for what it's worth. But there have been nine new champions, if you count interim. UFC 270, Davison Figueredo became the flyweight champ. UFC 274, Esparza became the women's strawweight champ. UFC 275, Yeri became the light heavyweight champ. UFC 277, Moreno became the interim flyweight champ. UFC 277 again, Amanda Nunes recaptures her bantamweight title. UFC 278, Leon Edwards, of course, wins the welterweight crown. UFC 280, Islam Makachev. And then 281, you had both Zhang Wiley winning women's strawweight and, of course, Alex Pereira becoming your new middleweight champion. So this is just sort of goes to show, I said this before, even, even before Saturday, this was true, BC. If you look at the reign of Israel Adesanya, it's just... He's the second best middleweight of all time, period. Like, he is that guy in MMA. Like, by a long shot, he's that guy. And, you know, these titles are fucking hard to hold on to for any extended period of time. If you can rack up two, three, four, five title defenses, 
Jesus Christ, man, you are doing something very special. But the worm always turns in this sport, and Pereira's new, your new champion, and he deserves it. That's the end of the story. Shouldn't we be less proactive to criticize whether it was, you know, the tail end of GSP's title run when he was so careful and the stress of keeping his belt led him to, you know, figure out the safest, most efficient ways to do that. And obviously let's take into account Adesanya getting criticized of late. And then he comes out and, you know, fights excitingly. And then I criticize him for standing in the pocket too long against uh, Pereira before I knew about the leg strikes. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we should hold again. And, and I know when it when it happens, it, it comes more from a casual fan point of view of wanting your pay per view money to you know have felt like you got your best uh, reward from it in terms of an action fight. But playing it safe sometimes when you're a champion to try to actually put together a title reign. I mean, it's kind of becomes what the job is because there's so many ways to lose this. I mean, there's so many ways it's ridiculous in the sport. There are so many ways to lose at any given time with this, not even a full mistake, like the hints of a mistake. So, uh, you know, I vow in the future, Luke, to, to value the W a little bit more. Uh, you know, when you don't fight balls out Chandler style, it can, it can hold you back on getting certain opportunities, but the people that have put together those win streaks that you mentioned, that's that you know Demetrius Johnson, Anderson Silva, sixteen in a row, right? Like Amanda Nunes before that massive upset to Juliana. I mean, it's 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 crazy, Luke. It's crazy Look, looking back that it ever actually happens because of how <laughs> this sport's insane. This sport is absolutely insane. It's fucking crazy. It's very very hard to have sustain sustained success. All right, next, let's see what we got. From 10 Point Max MMA, does Michael Chandler deserve, excuse me, does Michael Chandler deliver the best slash most exciting performances in a losing effort of any fighter in UFC history? Uh, that's fair, right? That's fair. He's up there. He's up there. I'm, I mean, that's a hard question to answer off the top of my head. Um, I mean, there have been guys like, you know, who jumps out at me? You know, Chris Lieben types in certain stretches where they were really sure. strong B-side opponents, but... You know, whenever they came back up for air against the elites, you knew you'd get a fun fight, but you knew they'd get knocked out. Um, Chandler's not necessarily that. Sometimes he can be that against the ultra elite because of his style. But, you know, we were debating who's authored sort of the best action fights in this lightweight modern era. If we if we broaden that and just look at the sport as a whole and ask yourself, you know, who have been the I'll use Arturo Gatti as the comparison, because when you hear that name in boxing, you just you know, he got in the Hall of Fame largely because of that ability to just make insane fights. Yes, we have to start talking about Chandler differently, I think, uh, of just what he, in five fights in the UFC, what he's put on top of already what was a very good career, three-time Bellator champion, authored many great action fights or or spectacular knockouts. But I, I don't remember being this, it's not even this excited that we could get, you know, elite-level wars. It's this guaranteed, matter-of-fact expectation now that even if he's fighting for the title against Oliveira, that Chandler's going to play video game style the entire freaking time. Even Justin Gaethje slightly altered his game of late to try to focus more on winning than just going, I mean, you know, that if if he was a, a full-on caveman Gaethje, he would have tried that same thing against Habib and everybody else. But no, there came a point in his career where he had to try to play it a little more strategic. Chandler is literally mashing the buttons. Now, I know there's a reason to his rhyme. I'm not saying there's no thought in that. Like, he knows how to get the most out of his explosive attacks. But Luke, he might be this era's, you know, Arturo Gatti. And sometimes that's more reserved for a guy who's 
you know, a journeyman or a guy who takes on more defeats. But for an elite fighter, when was the last time we saw somebody this, like, guarantee if he's on that card against against anybody, it's going to be insane. Guarantee. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure where it would go in MMA history because also, like, in Pride, you know, they had a lot of guys who were, like, full of that Bushido spirit who would just fight balls out, not even really trying to win, just trying to entertain. You know, so, like, where does Chandler fit in with that? Because it's a different era, different kind of thing. So I'm not sure how to answer it in the totality of MMA, but certainly in modern MMA. I mean, Chuck Liddell, and, right? Chuck yeah. Liddell? Um, no, I don't know about Chuck that way. No, I'm not so sure. Not like Chandler, no. Yeah. Gaethje obviously would be another one um, like that, too. But I, it's, a, it's a good question. I have to think about it a little bit more. But certainly in the time in which we are right now, there's no one quite like him. Yeah, Yuri Prohatska does things like that, too. So that's another guy yeah. to, to consider. All right. Yeah. So let's take a look at question number three, please. Here we go. This is from Turtle Power. With the success of Pereira and Izzy coming from glory, how do you think Rico would do at heavyweight? I mean, the answer is probably pretty well. He has fought MMA before um, against, you know, whoever the fuck on, you know, clownpenis.fartshow. Nothing nothing too yeah. difficult. Brought to you by Cam Soda. Yes, got it. Yep, but the got answer it. is the same, right? Like, Pereira got guys who weren't really going to take him down except for Bruno Silva, and that wasn't much of a threat. And then Izzy got him down a little bit, but it wasn't much of a threat. Again, the third round was pretty good by Izzy, but, you know, in general, one of four on takedowns. You know, we haven't really fully seen him tested at all in MMA against the elite. Again, B, uh, AB seemed to think that, like, it was not crazy, but, like, people were just automatically spelling his demise, which, fair enough, you don't know how the fights are going to go. But got to tell you, BC, if he fights Robert Whitaker, I'm picking Whitaker 10 times out of 10 without much hesitation. Um, so how would Rico do, BC? Well, 10 out of well, 10. But, if, but like, we, don't, we don't know. 10 out of 10? I'd, I'd save one of those 10 for... for uh, uh, I'd save one. I'd save one. It's a figure of speech. Maybe two. But, Maybe two. Like, Rico would obviously do well at heavyweight, but there are wrestling guys at heavyweight, and I just don't know how that would go. Okay. But you don't want to see him against Overeem for the Glory Heavyweight Championship, right? Oh, I would love to see that. Sure, I think Rico would win, but I I would be happy to see it. Sure. Okay. But this is an MMA. Sure. Right? I got so, you. No thoughts? Oh uh, yeah, I, I I thought you nailed it. I'm I'm on that track with you. He'd have to. Sh- I mean, look, it's not automatic. Go Kinsaki, Luke. It didn't last long, okay? Right, right. Izzy okay, is he, special. Pereira is special. Rico is special I mean, too. But you know, I'm not here to tell you Pereira's got a great ground game. Yet it didn't ultimately become a factor outside of that one takedown, really. So um, he seems to be super special in his focus, determination willingness to you know learn and go i mean he goes through we saw footage he goes through wars with glover in practice i don't think they're using modern uh precautions in that gym i think they're just going to war luke i gotta tell you people talk about how hard that sparring is i've seen way harder that did not look nearly as crazy as some sparring i've seen okay you mean like like are you talking about bettendorf iowa level sparring luke no i've never seen that but i've been to elite mma gyms where they sparred much harder than that yeah yeah like, those guys were definitely sparring hard, but I still thought there was method in their madness. Um, yeah, that's not nearly as bad as it gets. Turned out uh, it was just meth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, next. Uh, from Cubby's fan, 80. Where does Hanato Moicano's post-fight speech rank amongst the greatest in MMA history? Greatest or worst, BC? What do you think? Oh, I think it's among the best. We're going to hear it shortly and have you seen this shit, so buckle up, but... You know, is it is it was it memorable enough to you to link it? Like I don't like I'm trying to think. Recently, <laughs> top four or five years, 
What have we seen? I love the Rose. I'm the best speech. That was great. Uh, Juliana's Pena's speech was emphatic and inspirational. Derek Lewis, you know, my balls was was hot, was insane. I feel like, the you know, Moicano calling himself Moicano just put this thing on a new level, Luke. Yeah, for some reason. And it wasn't like Nate Diaz beating Connor and then being like, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. You know, it wasn't any of that. So it was almost like, where do you rank just great post-fight speeches unrelated to the fight themselves? In that sense, pretty high. As it relates to the fight itself, and it was a great win, uh, but it seems a little unrelated. I tell you what it felt like to me, BC. It felt like he was just trying to announce himself to the world in a way which he hadn't quite had the chance to do that. He's clearly worked on his English. Um, It showed. like He's got a lot of loud opinions. It was better than the time that guy shouted out Daniel Kinahan. Yes. Yeah, that was Was fun. his name Laze? Was that the guy's name? Lazez, Munir Lazez. Was I I missed I got the guy wrong the first time. I don't want to make that mistakes uh, again, but um yeah, that was not awesome. But you know, no, no one cares no. in the sport. You can do whatever the fuck. You can hey, here's a sexual predator. Hey, he's my cornerman now. That's, I can't that's wait to thing. see if Colby's going after DeSantis twenty twenty four or back with Don Senior, Luke. This is gonna be a he's got a lot of decision making to do right now. It will be interesting. All right, last but not least, what do we got? From Ev Harkness, favorite rumble fights slash finishes. Ooh. Yeah, this is awful news, Luke, because he's so young. Like, we all wanted to see him against UL Romero. Like, there there seemed to be some post-career life for him, meaning he retired in the UFC on his own terms, the great Rumble Johnson, and then came to to Bellator, and we weren't expecting the world. In fact, when he fought that late replacement, Jose Augusto, it was a crazy war, but, like, he seemed happy. He's got his business, you know, he he really worked on uh, his business portfolio in in his time off from the UFC, but, you know, we had heard, what, that he exited Bellator with with some some type of illness that he didn't go public with, and now he's gone. So this is insanely sad, and I thought Aaron Bronstetter kind of nailed the the feeling that we all kind of have, but... To celebrate what this guy did, and I mean, like you know, that first DC fight, as Aaron mentioned, I mean, he's 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 one punch away from winning the championship right there. We almost got to see him against John Jones. I mean, it came pretty damn close. Uh, but he was also once a welterweight. So when you talk about like, hey, who's your favorite people to call up on UFC Fight Pass to just kill some time, dude? Rumble as a welterweight, it's just so much friggin' fun to watch. It's for as great as he was as a light heavyweight, and he got as close as you can get to winning the championship. He has this other freak show side to his career, which is not really a freak show because he was a legitimate rising contender. But look, that run as a UFC welterweight, I can't even believe that ever happened. So my favorite fighter knockout is every fight at 147, even though he authored some sick ones. The Glover one at two, UFC 202 was just, I mean, just ridiculous. But Luke, that welterweight run, damn. Yeah, I was there for, speaking of which, he fought in Washington, D.C. He beat Charlie Brenneman at the then Verizon Center. I was there for that one. Boy, he whipped his afro a lot of different directions with that one. Um, Kevin the Fire Burns. People may not remember that fight. I remember that fight. Um, I think there was a couple of them because he got poked in the eye. But uh, those were great. For me, I'll say two of them. Just putting Glover's lights out effortlessly was one. The other one was when that motherfucker went all the way to Sweden in Alexander Gustafsson's hometown. And they're, yes. in, the, they're in the Globe. and every, or I think they were in the Globe, but wherever they were. They were going fucking crazy for Gustafson. And, and and Johnson went in there and just methodically closed that fucking show. Boy, he shut those guys up like that. Unbelievable. This dude was terrifying. 
terrifying. I would love to do a, a resume review on him po posthumously, Luke, and celebrate him. Yeah, uh, one of the hardest hitters I've ever seen independent of weight class. I think his power would have... Remember, he knocked out Arlovsky's teeth at heavyweight in World Series of Fighting. Folks don't even remember that. Arlovsky's face at the end of that, he had a bunch of missing teeth because yeah. Anthony Rumble Johnson just fucking worked like a dentist on him, man. He, the the was guy a, was terrifying. It went the distance, and they were both gassed out, but yeah, that thing was... He, he landed bombs. I mean, when I look up and down... I don't know, man. You know, it's it would be tough to beat that Glover Glover one or the Gustin one, and they were back to back, uh, what have you. And uh, I had the wrong card. I was who did he knock out? Oh, two hundred two was the Glover one. So he had he had the uh, the Nog and the Gustafson one back to back. Those two were vicious too. Let's not forget about you know the what? Hold on, let me add one more to that. Let me add one more to that. I was there for this one. I remember this distinctly. Um, when John Jones fought Glover Teixeira, that was in Baltimore, Maryland, and I got to cover that show for uh, MMA fighting. And I remember we had media day and this was the media day where John Jones was doing pictures for the face off and Phil Davis got in his face because Phil Davis was supposed to fight a returning rumble Johnson who had been gone from the organization after that failed Vitor fight weight cut and got bounced and, you know, went on world series of fighting and everything else then came back. So this was rumbles return. Now rumble didn't knock him out, but rumble, handled Phil Davis. I mean, he had Phil Davis scared for his life, understandably. So he had this return performance where Phil Davis was making a big show about wanting to fight John Jones, totally overlooking Anthony Rumble Johnson. They get in there, and Rumble Johnson let him know right away whose win this was going to be. And, yeah. uh, and I, that was a big, big moment for his return. I remember that very distinctly. Yeah, and that that, that head kick from Charlie Brenneman may be, the, may be the best single highlight I've ever seen from him. I mean, what just insane power. Uh, yeah, Luke, uh, what else are you going to say? And this is shocking. It's, it's so sad to, to hear from a guy who had, we, we say you know, this all the time, but as you get older, you really begin to appreciate it. It is very hard to take mortality and sickness seriously when you're like in your teens or twenties and you've mostly lived a healthy life. You know, it's very, very hard to understand that, but it really is true. When you leave your house in the morning every day to go to work, you do not know if you are coming home. You don't know. It's not, it's not. A given by any stretch of the imagination, you don't know what illnesses are going to befall you. You don't know what tragedy is coming your way, and so you know. And this is me saying this, the sourpuss McGee, but I'm 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 serious, man. You really, really have to take life day by day. Appreciate what you have. Go do the things you want to do. Love your people around you, because you may not get any more chances at all. Yeah, um, yeah that's it. Well said, well said. Uh, any more of them DMs from Donks, or do we still only have male viewers? I think that's it. Just dudes telling us about their hogs. All right, well, we go from somber news and reflection, Luke, into batshit ridiculi. Yes, this is your favorite segment of the week, viewer, because it has to be, because it's so damn addicting. It's when your boy BC scours the globe. The highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, combat sports and beyond. And Gaffney Pierre, my man, sifts through that shit to find the golden kernels and puts it on the air for your benefit. This is called Have You Seen This Shit? Ow. Ow. Uh, Luke, I hear this is a great one, okay? I would know. I, so I curated this bullshit, okay? You're gonna love the way this looks on you. Here we go, UFC 281 in New York. Luke, before the fights even started, in Times Square, check out Claudia, I'm sorry, check out Carla Esparza, Taking on the naked cowboy. Did you see this fight? 
mine because I'm heavier. <laughs> but maybe not. He hit me right in the balls. Can the, can the NYPD just beat him up with nightsticks or something? I mean, if I was her, I would burn all of those clothes and shower instantly after that exchange, Luke. He's the right? grossest man alive. I feel very yeah, I mean, confident saying that. He used that. to have an incredible figure. Now he's just like wiry, strong, and old. And it's just like, dude, the gimmick's over, okay? But maybe yeah, he brings he, joy. You know, maybe he brings joy to people. Maybe. Yeah, just, just set him on fire and call it a day. <laughs> uh, Luke, let's look at... Uh, Poetan's reaction to knocking out Izzy. This is as stone cold as it gets. Look at that face. Yeah, this is how I react after getting something fun in the mail. <laughs> what? What? It's mag magazine day? What are you talking about? No, like if you order something from Amazon and it finally <laughs> arrives, you know, you're like, fuck yeah. Dude, he looks like it didn't affect him. Remember when Reggie Miller hit that buzzer beater in the 88 Eastern Conference, 98 Eastern Conference Finals against uh, Jordan and the Bulls when he pushed off, when Reggie pushed off like a bitch and Larry Bird didn't even celebrate because he knew there was still time on the clock? He saw it going. He was just like, that's what Poetan looks like. Like, yeah, I fucking expected this, bro. I ain't surprised at all. Luke, in fact, there, we may need a wellness check. How is your heart at the moment? Because you sat down with this man in a $14 million mansion. You yeah. love Izzy, and I, I respect do, yeah. that out of you. Are you recovering okay from this? Dude, I really, I was, you know, I was a little bit bummed when it first happened, just naturally. But honestly, man, I said this, you know, I've said this a lot, really. Dude, the guy's win is legit. I mean, all you can ever hope for is that the person most deserving in the end, in a fair contest, gets their hand raised. Dude, that's the guy. It's Poetan. Yeah, look that's at Glover. the guy. Dude, Glover's choking him out. Look at that. I missed that the first so, time. So, Glover like, how do his... I feel about it? I know that these titles aren't held for very long. Izzy fought great, but this guy fought better in the end, at least in the moment that it counted. He won it fair and square. His story is amazing. This is yeah. life-changing for him. It's life-changing for his family. How can you hate on that? How can anyone be mad at it? You can be sad that like Izzy lost if you're an Izzy fan or whatever, but you can't be mad that Pareto won. He won spectacularly, delivered action, got it fair and square. His story's remarkable. Dude, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. I'm glad I'm glad to see that you're in a good place with this, Luke. I had to go through the same thing when Whaley ended Joanna, okay? I lived through it, all right? <laughs> I made it to the other yeah, side. Yeah, but the difference you know? is I don't want to bang Izzy. <laughs> Okay, uh, Luke, I mentioned that um, Chandler was strategically dripping blood and shooting blood snot rockets, which led Poirier to counter somewhat dirty on his own. Look at him try to part the Red Sea right there. Did you see that? Yeah, that is... Uh... Dude, so it looks is... like Chandler spit at him, too. Watch this closely. Yeah, look at that. A little bit, yeah. Dude, that's grimy from Chandler, dude, trying yeah, to shoot those bloody... Yeah, that's pretty fucking grimy. I will yeah, say disgusting. it is common in this particular position or when you're stacking someone in jiu-jitsu, it is very common. It's happened to me a couple of times where you're, you're sweating and your head is directly over theirs and then the sweat from your head drops in their mouth. Um, that has happened a number of times. Uh, I'm not tough enough gross. to appreciate this. This is freaking disgusting. I don't want to be tough enough to think this is cool. Yeah, like, like, here's the gross. thing. Like, this, is, this is why it's like how does like staff and Matt Herpes and shit spread? This. That's yeah. how. That's how. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There you go. All right, let's go to Superman. By the way, you know, monkeypox kind of fell off the news radar. I, I didn't really follow it. I was yeah. surprised that that wasn't more of an issue in jujitsu because you know motherfuckers <clears throat> were showing up with that shit, not telling anyone. No, you're right. You're right. No one has monkeypox. It's like polio. Does anyone have polio anymore? I hope not, Luke. 
Your grandparents. Yeah, I mean, FDR did. He fought that shit. He never tapped, Luke. My dad said he went to kid. He went to uh, uh, elementary school with kids who had polio, who like you know lost the ability to walk and shit. You know. Yeah, I bet he didn't talk to them either, Luke. Let's go to Superman Span, uh, ending Dom Reyes here, sending him to the to hell's basement. I hate to watch this again, but it, so oh, it was the God. left hand. Look how fast it happened. It was God. that jab that stunned him. Right? Dude, he just walked right into range. Yeah, he just he walked did. into it. He really did. Look at this. Oh, God, that left hand was so sharp, and then that clubbing right hand just demolished him. Man, that's a good win for Span, though. We we tend to sometimes, you know, forget him in this picture, but good the win The problem with that win back. for Span is the, the win is tremendous. It's not like you can say anything bad about it, but it doesn't tell you if, like, his ground game got better, right? It just tells you what you already kind of knew, which is, you know, you stand in front of this fucking guy, he's going to put your lights out, and uh, so we got that, but we didn't get any new information. All right, each fight night, Luke, gives us another opportunity to join hands with Money Lion, our favorite, uh, one of our favorite sponsors, because they know how to do money, right? They know how to money. And uh, hashtag Holy Hammer, indeed, for Aaron Blanchfield. But it wasn't just the victory slicing that meatball in half via crucifix. How about the celebration, Luke? Cold-blooded, indeed. Yeah, that's me after uh, chopping, like, kick carrots on the... On the on the you know the wood fucking chopping block. You're like, all right, yeah. I did it without cutting myself. Eat shit, yep. world. Dude, she might be hashtag hammer of the month. She might uh, get. I gotta the tell you, is she your nominee for this week? Because she's definitely she, mine. She is definitely my nominee for the Michael Trezano, You had a great one round there with uh with with Choi, and you know nearly put on the fight of the year by accident. But uh, this this was hammer of the month right here, Luke. Okay, you can't touch this, Luke. She was widely expected to win, though. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, let's go to the aforementioned promo of the year. It comes from Hainato Moicano. And I'm fucking here to take over all these motherfuckers. I'm here to take over. Make no mistake, I lost only to the best. But today, I'm the fucking best. We you so <laughs> Luke, he also passionately made a plea to be on Joe's show and did the Rogan, you know, what is it, train by day, Rogan by night routine yeah, as well. Some, some shit. Dude, Mo Mo uh, Moicano needs to get on our couch. That's what needs to happen next, right? Yeah, that's how I go to the bank and I make a deposit. Lukito wants money. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then they pull firearms. Yes, that's what happens. All right. I mean, God bless him. What a performance. What a what a promo. Damn. I hope he got the 50K. I didn't even check. But Luke, elsewhere in NYC on Saturday, did you see this fight in the streets? Nate Diaz slapping Dylan Dennis outside MSG. See, they say he slapped Dylan Dylan Dennis, by the way, just looking like he has been living <laughs> in a van down by the river. I mean... <laughs> He looks terrible, first of all. Second yeah. of all, uh, they said he slapped Dylan. I didn't see that. I haven't seen any video of that. I did see video, actually, of Audi Attar, Conor McGregor's agent, the head of Paradigm um, Sports Group or Management Group, whatever the formal name is, slapping one of Dylan Dennis's teammates. 
But there, to my knowledge, I have not seen any video of him actually slapping Dylan Dennis, which, by the way, is I would have loved to see it. And by the way, this is also where I have to wait at three in the morning for one of my fucking rides. This well, is right were, outside the uh, uh, the Moynihan train station. Yeah, people love to see the landmarks of your demise. So thank you for pointing that out. But uh, there are other angles to this video where he does slap somebody that I agree. I, I wasn't sure it was Dennis exactly, but that's been the narrative. I didn't do my due diligence to research it, but there's the video dude, for Nate, you, Luke. This is a true story, dude. Nate Diaz dry, uh, flies around the country just slapping people at, at yeah, combat just looking for Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad business plan <laughs> now that he's a free agent to try to create, like, crossover fight events. Yeah, I mean, would you watch him at in a high rollers main event on pay-per-view against Dylan Dennis? Yeah, I would, Luke. Yeah, but Dylan, if Dylan is at all himself, he should win that one relatively comfortably, but um, he looks All right, we'll have to do it terrible. at Bellator, then. We'll have to do it in Bellator. But I hit up Bellator like, I don't know, a few months ago being like, is Dylan Danis still even under contract? And they said yes. They said yes. Yeah. So I'm I being don't know told what the here story is there. by Long Island Luke and Gaff that that uh they want Nate and Dana's slap league. No, no, stop, stop, guys. Nate stop should it. be in Dana's power slap league. That's fucking hilarious. Stop this weirdness, okay? They got a TBS contract, by the way. Damn. Only yeah. in America, Luke. Only T- in TBS America. will air anything. It's like, yo, we're just gonna go out here and fucking wrestle these bears. Well, All Nate right. was throwing bricks outside the garden, but inside of it, Luke, Dave Portnoy of Barstool was shooting bricks. I'll rate his form here. Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, the guy who's in charge of a sports empire is uh, perhaps the least athletic man I've ever seen. He has one of the... I mean, I I mean, I, I don't have a great jump shot, Luke. I'm a post player, but this is this is, uh, <laughs> it's pretty lame here. It's Dude, pretty bad. He, sh- he shoots like some... And I mean this generally because I remember the first time someone showed me how to shoot a basketball. I was in fifth grade. Because, <laughs> you know, my parents let me join sports teams. Here's, here's how this goes. I realize this now, right? Now that I'm a parent. Some kids have parents who show them how to play sports. And then, of course, they go into coaching, and then the coach takes over or whatever. But my parents were like, oh, do you want to play sports? Well, then just, you know, go join a fucking league. We're not going to show you shit. So I didn't know how to do anything until I actually joined leagues to learn how to play. So I remember the first time someone showed me how to shoot a jump shot. Literally, it looks to me like no one has ever shown Dave Portnoy how to shoot a basketball. Yeah, he shoots right? like Connor a little bit, a little bit like Connor, but that's fine, Luke. He's making a lot of money and betting a lot of money. More on that in a second. Yeah, but... he's rich as balls, but he shoots like so someone the, who doesn't know how to shoot a basketball. You know the biggest winner of last week was you and I for staying in Jersey City and not taking the subway into Manhattan so that we didn't have to see this, Luke. I fucking hate the New York City subway. <laughs> I fucking hate the New York City. Look at this gross piece of shit. Look at this. Look at this barn animal. And I don't mean the dog. Is he the uh, rhythm guitarist in, in uh, Cannibal Corpse by any chance, Luke? That looks great. Wow. Dude, look wow. at the. And also, dude, I mean, you know, people don't like my white people jokes, which I just do at this point to needle people who are very sensitive about it. I don't even really mean it. But they do love making out with dogs, don't they? Yeah, they, fucking yeah, love they do. That shit. They do. Yeah, yeah. I come from a long line of people that'll make out with cats. Luke, it happens. You know, it's <laughs> it's. I don't I don't try to take part. Believe me, but it's gross. You know, it's gross. All right, let's uh, let's see some MSG fashion statements this week. Uh, Luke, I want you to give me a, a rating, one to ten. Ten being the coolest, one being the lamest. Here's famed actor musician Jared Leto backstage at the Garden. Just dress like he's going to a porno theater. Get yeah. some normal clothes on, asshole. <laughs> I think I think Pee Wee Herman wore that that time in the back of that theater, Luke. Indeed, that nice trench coat you got there. Did Adidas what are you, make smuggling it? Smuggling okay. in a fucking two liter of Coke. Wear normal clothes, <laughs> asshole. 
Uh, let's go over to Kamaru Usman dressing like Janet Jackson in the Rhythm Nation video, Luke. But I'm here for it, though. I'm here for it. Yeah, that's a bit much, but uh, I'm okay with this though. This is this is do aggressive. You, do you but... like? See, so Francis is walking pretty cool and all normal. Show that again. Watch how Kamaru walks. He's got that diddy bop. See right there. Oh yeah. He's got, he's got. You know, I'm talking about this thing. The chains are jangling too. I, you know, I could get down with this. It, you got to commit to the part, and he has. But yes. it is a little off-putting at first glance. Um, also, I gotta to say pull... this. I've I've tried it before, just as like a gag. Yeah. The sunglasses inside bit. No. You you got to stop, everyone. Yeah. You got to yeah. stop. <clears throat> Unless you're on you know copious amounts of cocaine and and you're just trying to keep that hidden. I don't like yeah, that yeah, look yeah. either. But so then just get you know, some Visine and be quiet. I mean, you know, Nate Diaz likes it. I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool look. If you're a rock star, that's that's a guarantee you're dressed. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're a rich young celebrity, obviously you don't want to listen to me and BC. Don't know what the fuck's cool, but no, we're old. The sunglasses shit. inside thing, I just, I've never, I can accept literally everything he's wearing, no problem, except the sunglasses inside. I can't do well, that. Well, uh, Poetan was dressing shirtless with a sport coat all week, but here's his weigh-in gimmick. Luke, we should have seen this coming, right? Wow. Yeah, dude, I got to tell you, this was awesome. That was fucking awesome. And I don't know what all the imagery or symbolism means, but he looked uh, he looked menacing. Did he not? Yeah, he brought that same spirit into the cage, it seems, too. Um, by the way, shout out to the UFC for using Radio City Music Hall. Uh, I was there, by the way, for that Connor and Habib press conference one of the with no crowd because they were afraid of a riot. One of the craziest moments ever. But Radio City Music Hall is badass, Luke. Going to fights there, anything. Like, it's just, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great, it's an iconic iconic place in new yeah. york yeah <clears throat> the rockets are the best too luke you know they're they're great at what they do oh the other fashion statement of the week came from izzy post fight your thoughts on this uh this hair fur uh he's almost done with the chewbacca costume you know <laughs> <laughs> well right? would he be as loyal luke would he be as loyal i mean no well, no one is as no i mean no one can replicate the greatness of chewbacca uh like I said, man, young people with money, they just know things we don't. Um, yeah, yeah. They take chances we're not willing to, Luke. But yeah. uh, we're going to be heavy on the Portnoy here. Here's the thrill of victory followed by the agony of defeat when you gamble heavily with big money at UFC fights. Here's Portnoy celebrating his Poirier by submission bet at plus 750 odds. Whoa. Ho, ho, ho. Of course, he's wearing the Meatball Molly shirt, so... <laughs> <laughs> they took a bit of an L there early, but uh, yeah, well, that's a nice... for whatever he won off of that bet, he certainly lost the ten grand he put on Meatball Molly. Oh, and here's he put the ten grand. Yeah, he 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 tweeted that ticket out. It would have won forty grand. Here's him and the other guy, Luke, uh, experiencing their first crucifix. That's that's that's, that's wow. big cat. That's big cat. Yeah, yeah. There's Theo yeah. Vaughn sitting next to Jared Leto. What is that conversation like, huh? Uh, drug field. I hope. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Portnoy, Luke, we always mention on here when real meets real, dude. Joe Rogan's got Portnoy looking like uh, Shaquille O'Neal here, right? Well, you love talking shit about his height, don't you? I thought Portnoy would be taller. I really did, Luke. I really did. All right. Uh, let's go to the punch machine. That's always worth a laugh. Here's your punch of the week. that Beetlejuice? <laughs> oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, buddy. What happened there, my guy? Yeah, why, is he, why, is he, why is he walking like if he didn't clench his butt cheeks 
feces would come flying out. Look at him. I don't think he has all his uh, ducks in a row, Luke. This guy, I mean, this is great. He did provide us with great entertainment. Uh, here's reason number 57 why European MMA is just different. How about this for a between match entertainment product? Just two people fucking? What is it? <laughs> They love sex over there, Luke. I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> My family and I are here for sex. Yes, yes. That's, Dude, do uh, you remember the guy who opened uh, at the MMA Awards last year, the guitar player? Yes. Who with looked those, like he was, with, he'd was he been on the road for three and a half decades. <laughs> with all those showgirls dancing with, like, knives around him? That was so And everyone theater. around us is like, like, this is truly the vibe. Everyone's like, I'm not saying he's a bad guitar player, but, like, you can just start the show without this. You know what I'm saying? You can just... <laughs> You just get right to the show. Uh, Luke, you know the, everyone's favorite bit on this show is uh, when Luke Thomas rates that tat. Oh, shit. Here we go. Here we go. Let's you see. better speak the truth here. Here's Cheeto <laughs> Vera. And old Cheeto went ham on the back of his skull. Your thoughts? So people were clowning this tat, and I really mostly don't understand why. Here's why. This is designed to be what's called American traditional. American traditional is more along the lines of what you see with these flat, saturated colors. It's mostly 2D um, with, the, with the objects. The tiger I have is American traditional, as, as a matter of fact. Now, I will say that if you look at the back leg, it looks like it's twisted like a bag of dough. So they didn't quite get that right. But in general, in general, you have to like this style of tattooing and this style of tattooing. That's mostly fine. Okay, so that this is not a Mr. Hebos scenario. No, again, uh, you know, by the way, I have to say, like, to, to get tattooed on your fucking head is yeah. next level. <laughs> that is, and then to uh, get deep color saturated in your fucking scalp like that. Dude, Cheeto yeah. Vera must be tougher than you could ever imagine. Yeah, he's a real man, Luke. He is a real man. He's about that life. Believe it. Uh, rate that tat number two. A, a combat favorite in these parts, Luke. Britain Beltron. Wife of Joey and BKFC fame. What do you think about so, this? So this is flat out excellent. That is a nine and a half out of a ten. Uh, great placement, great shading. It's like black and gray portrait realism. Whoever did that knows exactly what they're doing. That's maybe one of the better tattoos I've ever seen on a fighter. That is an excellent, wow. excellent tattoo. Okay, it it screams America too, right? Yeah, for sure, dude. Like, I mean, just blow it, blow it up full screen. Just look at the inside of the mouth. Look at the feathering and how distinct it is. The eye obviously has like depth as in set into the face. So this would be the opposite of American traditional. This would begin portrait realism. That is um, that is a superb tattoo. That is yeah, excellent. She's, she's an effing feeling indeed, Luke. Uh, here's our final tattoo of the week. Hoyler Gracely, Gracie, excuse me, showing off his Mr. Hebos inspired tribute to his father, Helio, in the picture behind him. Your thoughts, Luke? Uh, it's a bit of a mess. Um, the hands look terrible. Uh, the gi looks terrible. Uh, yeah, that's not great. That's a that's a that's not a great tattoo. No, the face okay. is a mess. <laughs> you gonna tell Hoyler that yourself, Luke? No, I, I would skip that. I would skip. Yeah. Hoyler's amazing. <laughs> Hoyler, Hoyler's one that dude. Hoyler got the gold at ADCC, I think, four times. I mean, Hoyler's amazing, but that tattoo is not my favorite. All right, your regional MMA fight of the week, Luke. It's a old guy in slacks taking on two punk kids that I'm sure egged his car. But this shit got wild. Let's see what happened. 
What the <laughs> fuck are we? Lo- Why is this steampunk asshole fighting two Asian kids? <laughs> Watch the double guillotine attempt coming up. <laughs> they would Dude, go on to what beat the fuck? Is this like TikTok versus the typewriter? What is this shit? I didn't research it. Is this like that fight circus camp soda oh, bullshit? Oh, yes. Like- yes, it is fight circus where they just do whatever the fuck. I think it's in Thailand or something. Yeah, um, Brent Brookhouse loves that stuff, Luke. So I dude, they'll, 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 they'll straight up be like, yo, we're going to put this uh, featherweight against, I don't know, a hippopotamus baby. Let's just fucking do it. Yeah. Uh, Luke Mayweather took on Deji yesterday in Dubai Deji, on pay-per-view. His name is. Yeah, but I was more focused on Big John Fury, father of Tyson, nearly killing Jake Paul on commentary. Enjoy yourself some of this. Fight me right now, then. Get in the ring. Don't fight me right now, bro. Easy now. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. Now John Fury is taking the shirt off. Hold on. Why, why did he take his shirt off? John's coming after him. Because he's a fighting man. John Fury. Trying to get out of the ring and get to Jake here. My goodness gracious, this is un- unfolded terribly, folks. Now John showing some shadow boxing. Luke, let well, me I remind tell you, you, the Furies, the Furies level of confidence <laughs> is is inversely proportional to the greatness of their physiques. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, that's a great call. So uh, let me remind you that John Fury once took a man's eyeball out in a bar fight, did jail time, is now no longer allowed to fly to the U.S. I asked Tyson about that incident on my interview with him two years ago, which led to him hanging, him hanging up on me. They will. Fi- I don't, did you see at the press conference for this two weeks ago that he almost got into a fight with Anthony Taylor as well? Remember him? He was uh, on one of those Jake undercards, the former Bellator fighter. Yeah, John yeah. Fury is not like my father at all. You know what I mean? Like no, they're he, very different no. people. Well, I would hope your dad acts like that when the rents due on that investment property in Vegas, Luke. That's what I hope. <laughs> but uh that was during that was the end of a Tommy Fury fight, and Jake was on commentary in his Hulkamania shirt. Did Tommy even win? Did he fucking win? Yeah, but he had, it was like a last last second switch on opponent, the other opponent. He missed weight. Yeah, there's a lot of shenanigans going on. But here's Tommy Fury and Jake Paul nearly coming to blows afterwards. Two, two, two. Jake. Jake, Jake, we got a mic. Come on, come on, pussy ass. Get out of here, cuz. Let's go. You fucking suck at fighting. Let's go. Pull up, pull up, pull up. Yeah, let's go, bro. Come here. Come here, all of you. All of you. Come to Papa. Come to Papa. Come to Papa. Come to Papa. Let's go. Um, come to Papa was the refrain, Luke. Uh, does this get you jazzed up to get on an airplane to London, Showtime pay-per-view, Tommy versus Jake sometime in 2023? Yin, Luke, we can make this happen. Come on, Yin. Uh, only if uh, John Fury is shirtless for the entire fight week. Then I'm <laughs> Dude, in. first request to Showtime, if this actually happened, by the way, which is in play, it's possible. possible. First request Room service diaries with John Fury on the ground, shirtless, instantaneous, Luke. It, like, like the second we get off the plane, I want the couch on the runway. I want to make sure this happens, all right? Agreed. We'll pay him in bitches. All right. Uh, Luke, remember Delphine Pursuit? Remember she was the Belgian cop mm-hmm. who had two just all-action fights against uh, Katie Taylor? Katie Taylor, yeah. Delphine took on Ikram Kirawat. And uh, this would go down as a no contest, but watch the finish here. Ooh. 
You so can't hit wait. a downed opponent. You can't yeah, hit. Yeah. So him. is that why it's no contest? Because she did he, the old MMA bit. I don't get why it wasn't a disqualification because that's not an accidental foul. But if an accidental foul happens before round four, typically it can become a no contest based on the commission. But uh, uh-huh. we're in Dubai, so the commission could be uh, could be uh, you know Sean Shelby for all I know. But uh, yeah, that was weird. Okay, uh, elsewhere in boxing, you want to see weird? Luke, they held a Royal Rumble in the DAZN main event, and Montana Love took his first career L by DQ for tossing Stevie Spark. Uh, into the crowd. Okay, what the fuck is he doing? Uh, he lost the fight. That's what he's doing. This was early on. They were they were mixing it up. It was a decent fight, but uh, then that happened. So they call it here? Yeah, they called it a DQ. He criticized the ref afterwards. Montana did. He said he definitely wants a rematch, but we saw him in the past on a Jake undercard. He is an unbeaten, legitimate uh, young fighter out of Ohio, and uh, he got pissed enough to to launch the guy. So there you go. That's what happened. Uh, that's weird. Yeah, 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 it is. Okay. Uh, elsewhere in boxing on the top rank undercard in Las Vegas. Remember this guy, Floyd Cashflow Diaz with the crazy hair? Oh, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he makes statements. Check out this one. He's now eight and oh. <laughs> with- Whoa. I want Fulton. I want Inouye on his trunks. My man wants some fucking smoke. Does yes, he not? He does. He actually put that. I didn't notice that until now. That's that's brilliant. Uh, he improved to eight and oh with the TKO of Edgar Cortez. Uh, he's not fighting world beaters, but he is making noise, Luke. He's making a lot of noise, this guy. Hey, he's been on this show a number of times, and he's not been here for unfun reasons. I like this guy. Uh, Ricky Hatton and Marco Antonio Barrera had one of those legends boxing matches uh, oh, over God. the weekend. But here was Ricky Hatton's ring walk, Luke. This this popped me. An ode to uh, Willy Wonka with a cane, right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. This is hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> or it's the beginning of an adult movie. I can't figure out which one, but that's great. Yeah, he's just yes. going to go bang them both in between rounds. <laughs> and, Luke, on that top rank undercard I mentioned, here's Emiliano Vargas, the 2-0 and son of Fernando Vargas, with a sick KO. Damn. He did the uh, Leo Santa Cruz bit after Gervonta knocked him out, where he goes forward, then backward. Yeah. Right? One of Jesus, the many Vargas sons shot. that are, yeah, the Vargas sons just signed with Top Rank, and uh, damn, this is a guy to watch, apparently. So look at that shit. Woo! Yeah, I'm not sure if the ropes in boxing do what they're supposed to. Can I just be honest about that? Yeah. <laughs> You've seen too many guys go through it on this segment? Is that what's happening? fall through these ropes all the time, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's bad. All right, let's go to Charlie Sheehy. He's a 24-year-old lightweight prospect, 5-0. and What was better here, the knockout or the celebratory dance, Luke? All right, let's see. His opponent's just standing in front of him. Okay. Is he fighting the guy who missed on the punch machine? <laughs> Are you into that type of celebration, Luke? I'll take the knockout over the dance, although I have to say, people doing the gritty when they win in anything in sports, and then it ends up on SportsCenter's fucking Instagram feed. Yeah. I hope all of those people get paralyzed from the neck. Including, does that include Michael Buffer, who showed up in this segment doing that dance, Luke? In the Eagles you know, I end love, zone? I love, I love Michael Buffer, but it's been a nice run. Time, time to get paralyzed. <laughs> all right, I want to make you aware of this six foot nine heavyweight prospect named Antonio Morales, who goes by the nickname El Gigante. He uh, he scored a KO two over five foot ten Eric Perry, and you know, anytime there's fat heavyweights, they're getting on this show, Luke. 
Did he fall through the ropes? Oh, no, they held him in this time. <laughs> what do you think of this 6'9 prospect here? El Gigante. The giant? Um, I mean, he's not fighting world beaters, it looks like. Yep, yep. Somebody to watch, okay? Somebody to watch. All right, let's go to the ping pong table. Here's your smash of the week. Watch the shirtless fella. Is that John Fury? <laughs> and that's the perfect transition into what I like to call dirty dancing gone wrong. We've seen this a few times. Maybe oh, not this violent. Does someone get face plant? Oh, gee. Wow. Yeah, she had the time of her life, Luke, and she's never felt this way before. <laughs> Neither has that guy, right? Wow. I've, I've often hoped that women would do this in my face <laughs> at clubs, but it never happened. <laughs> Uh, Luke, this is uh, becoming one of the most requested videos. People cannot wait to see your reaction to this level flexing from this young man. This was caught on an ESPN college football uh, broadcast. <laughs> or maybe that's ACC Network. My, my fault, Luke. My fault. My man, my maybe man, it's showed, up, my man showed up from his shift at Foot Locker to be like, yo, look, I got a Costco card trying to fuck. Yo, that worked too. Look at the reaction. I bet you that worked. That is fucking awesome. Oh, yes, nice my man was trying was... anything to get some action. Yeah, college basketball. That was what it was. Okay, a couple more here, Luke. You've lamented about your growing balding situation, although I yeah, can't really terrible. see it. I can't. Yeah, well, here, this guy's got a nice fix for you. You asked me, BC, how do I how do I fix this? Here's my answer. <laughs> You know, BC, you can't be clowning blue-collar ingenuity. Yeah, I mean, look, it works. Watch the ending here. Is this what LeBron James did? Wow. Look at the lines on that. That's perfect. Yeah, maybe we got to do this in studio next time with Neon. Yeah. <laughs> Who should we call, like a car detailer or like a... Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Go. I'm not sure, but this this looks like it could work. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Luke, don't drink and table dance. Everybody knows that rule, right? No. No, the ladies don't know that. Oh, right. How did I call that one? <laughs> Man, she's white. Seems so out of character. Oh, oh God. That's that's your KO right there. Wow. Bop. Yeah. Oh, see you, bitch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, sometimes the lady dancers get themselves, but Luke, sometimes they kill other people. Check out this woman. She's very happy. She's heavy. Happy, I said, not heavy. Oh boy! Oh. Well, that, yep, she might be heavy too. Look, that's that's Rikishi's finisher in WWE. Yeah, I gotta tell you, is. isn't wow. isn't isn't well? Hold on, you said the the Latin guy was El Gigante. Maybe we got to change the nicknames up here. Yeah, to this lady's uh, caboose. But uh, enjoy the enjoy. Wow, that the yikes! That's child abuse. And finally, Luke, we've got white women in the hood, or actually, white women on the hood. Your thoughts? Um, this is going to end poorly. I'm guessing. <laughs> What are they playing in that car? And she twerks, <laughs> and there we go. Nobody caught her. Nobody even helped. Look at that. No, they were just like, you know, just let nature take its course. That's truly, that I mean, this woman, come. I'm glad she got on the show because it looks to me like she's going to catch a Darwin Award in a couple of weeks. <laughs> wow, Luke, when she heard her jam, she had to just let it loose. We can all, we can all, when you hear, Luke, when I'm around you and a reggaeton song comes on you're like yo bc this is for real the shit it's not reggaeton by the way this is my jam bitch 
Yeah, what do you think they're listening to? Is it like Cotton Eye Joe or some stupid bullshit? No, no, no. Uh, Daddy Janky. Daddy Janky, as my wife would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great meeting your wife and kid this weekend, Luke. What a what a time. What can you tell the viewers about? What can you tell the viewers about my wonderful family? They are just sweet, you know, real people. And and Tukes took right all. She walked into the room service diary studios, grabbed the microphone, and was like, I mean, just took over, Luke. It was great. Uh, she loved the rotary phone. She was a big fan of that. She did set. love the rotary phone. Yeah. Right, now let me ask you: Are you surprised that people that normal and sweet have entered into a life agreement with me? Yes, I'm trying to figure out like what your wife didn't see in you that I see that would have prevented that from happening. But, you know, just, you know I'm sure you're like a romantic protector and a real nice guy and stuff. But yeah, 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 that's great. That's no, great seriously, j just a joy to meet the, the uh, Mrs. Thomas. So uh, enjoyed that a lot. Cool. I can't wait for you to meet Reggie Jackson one day, Luke. All right. Yeah, I would love to meet Reggie Jackson. I would yeah, love he'll to meet scratch Reggie the I bet shit he, I bet he rules. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. But no, Luke, that's the shit of the week. And uh, I think we do have to bring back up that we're getting we're a couple weeks into Holy Hammer time, right? Hammer of the month, the morning combat uh, crossover promotion with Money Lion. Look, it's coming yeah, so on. Here's how it goes. For more information, of course, you can see the graphic right there. You can also just use your phone and scan the QR code moneylion.com slash morning combat. Here's what you're going to do. You can go to Twitter and, and follow and tag at Money Lion or you can go to uh, Instagram at Money Lion Inc. Let them know who you think deserves to be the hammer of the month. Somebody who's ascending, who maybe isn't getting quite the pub that they deserve. This week, the, both BC and I think Aaron Blanchfield is that person. You can use the hashtag Holy Hammer, the hashtag Hammer of the Month, whatever. Let Money Lion know what you think, or who I should say, who you think deserves this award for this week. At the end of the month, we're going to tally it all up and come with a single winner. We're going to mail them that amazing hammer, and uh, it'll be good. Moneyline.com slash Morning Combat for more information. Dude, that hammer is so legit that I'm actually excited about the prospect of fighters like getting it in the mail and, you know, you know what I mean? I, I'm curious to see how it all goes. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm cautiously optimistic. Cautiously. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm into that. And uh, should th they shouldn't use the hashtag Holly Hammer, right? No. Holly Hammer, we're going to reserve that for Christmas. That's going to be the Christmas okay. hashtag. Okay. But okay. Holy yeah. Hammer or Hammer of the Month, we'll accept <clears throat> either of those, I think. I'm into that. Uh, special thanks again for Aaron Bronstetter for checking us out, uh, joining in from TSN. Fine MMA journalist himself and, you know, vinyl raconteur in many ways, Luke. But uh, can he beat can he beat Ariel? I mean, this isn't about Ariel. It's about Abron, the Canadian king, right? It's his time, Luke. It's his time. It might be, uh, but that's going to be a hard monopoly to break. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, you were the guy that had some hope in Pena because of her BBL stature, Luke. So I'm going to retain some level of hope fair for Aaron. I mean, Aaron, Ariel's got enough of them, Luke. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't need any more, but he might get more. No. You know what I like mean? Like once we once we win our like seventh consecutive best podcast of the year award, that's when I'm going to start being like, okay, guys, can we can we give the submission radio guys a high five already? Because they're great. Okay, can we do that, please? All right. Fair enough. Uh, I want to remind everyone, Showtime.com is the label that pays. As the week progresses, we're going to really lean into the show the the next Bellator card. What is it? What's the number on this card? Is it two eighty seven? I, I don't remember the number, but I remember the name of who's in it, and it's going to be fan friggin' tastic. I mean, we got Corey Anderson, Vadim Nemkov, one million dollars at stake, the light heavyweight world title. Let's do this, okay? Well, they they took that away from us the first time, but now we get was, it back. I was close. Bellator two eighty eight is the card. Listen to this card: Vadim Nemkov, Corey Anderson two, the rematch. 
Pitbull versus Usman Nurmagomedov. Hello, that one is my favorite Patricky. of all the. Yep. Title what did I say? Yep. I say Pitbull. Well, it's Pitbull. It's Patricky Pitbull. Yeah. Taking on Usman Nurmagomedov. Daniel Vaishal versus Timur Hizriev. I'm not sure how to say that one. Tyrell Fortune taking on Daniel James. And then this one, BC. Uh, this guy, Roman Feraldo. Roman Feraldo. You should not forget that name. A striking savant. A highlight machine. Taking on the Georgian, Levon uh, Chokeli. I can't pronounce his name quite all that well. But those fights at the top of that card are fucking bangers. And, of course, that will be on November 18th at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, Illinois. So if you want to watch that on Showtime, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Of course, want to thank some of our other uh, folks here involved, MorningCombat.store, RJ Dunkel Gangbang, getting everything uh, lined up there for us. By the way, spoiler alert, Anthony Smith was in our studio on Saturday, and he he gladly received a Morning Hub t-shirt. He did. Morning Hub. Morning Combat Hub, yes. The one that I get the most odd looks at when I wear it to the grocery store. That's the one. Um, and then, of course, uh, morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to go for emails relating to fan subs or for Friday's Dead Wrong or just to reach the show. The producers do see it. We don't. So you don't have yeah, to be like, dear Luke and Brian, because we're not going to see it, but the producers will. No, dear will. Mikey, mostly. But uh, Luke, uh, youtube.com slash morningcombat. Just a reminder to folks, not only if you only watch our live shows and reactions, do we have so much great interviews and bonus content, including this week, Laura Sanko on the Room Service Diaries couch. I mean, come on, you're going to want to yeah. see that. But just a reminder on how YouTube has restructured everything under the tabs. It is confusing if you don't know. There's a home tab, there's a video tab, there's a live tab. Depending on what we're doing, it's going to fall under different ones. Live shows, right? Interviews, special pull-apart. So you got to kind of check them all to make sure that you're completely up to date on our content. You also can just sign up, by the way, and, and hit like, subscribe, and even get you know text or email notifications each time we put out a new one. But don't miss all the good stuff going on, youtube.com slash morningcombat. There you have it. And so, of course, the when you go there, it's got videos, shorts, and live. The shows will appear under the live banner or the, the, the live vertical. Shorts, of course, what you think they are. They're YouTube shorts. And then videos is anything we just upload separately. Interviews, documentaries, whatever they may be. But the live shows are going to be under the live tab, youtube.com slash morning combat. All right, BC, any final thoughts before we call it a day? Uh, thanks, guys. Great week of fights coverage uh, through the weekend. We put out a lot of content. We got a lot of great feedback. We appreciate you, uh, you know, living and dying with us because that's what this is all about, Luke. Okay, trying to prevent the latter and trying our best to continue to enjoy the former. And if you ain't living, you're dying. So um, RIP to the great Rumble Johnson. We've had a lot of fun covering his career. And uh, like Aaron Bronstetter said, right? Hug those close to you. Call your mom. Luke, I got to call my mom. You know, I gotta, you know what I'm saying? I got to call my dad. I got to check in. Check in, okay? Keep 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 your connections strong and firm. Um, thank you, folks. We love you. That's it. All right. That's so all for it's a great message for Brian Campbell, CBS Sports Showtime. And by the way, one more time, big thanks to the Malka crew who put up with us all week. They had everything ready to go. They helped us to get everything done. And I know it was a lot of long days and a lot of late nights and long hours. So thank you all of you uh, on the Malka staff very much for helping us out. We really appreciate it. And that's it for us today. Back on Wednesday, I'll have extra credit out a little bit later. But until then, thank you guys so much for watching. For Showtime, CBS Sports, Malka, and everyone else involved, we're out. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.